Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Good evening, everybody. This is uh, American Reconstruction Project. It's January 4th, 2015. Boy, we really hit it hard, huh? Um, amazing because I remember the uh, dinar, the revaluation of the dinar was going to happen in, I think it was 2012 and then 2013. And I think Nibiru was supposed to hit or some planet was supposed to hit the earth and all sorts of other things uh, were supposed to have happened, which uh, the people who are not aware uh, might know that this is what we call controlled opposition. And what that is is they put out stories in order to get people to believe in it so that they'll be so busy chasing their tails to find out and believing that they don't have to do anything because the world is going to end tomorrow um, or the next day or the next day or the next day. And really what it comes down to is that they don't want the people to take the time to get involved and uh, learn and study and do as they're supposed to do to control these public officials. Um, I got some mail the other day. Oh, by the way, uh, nobody here is an attorney that I know of anyway, and nobody wants to be one considering that the uh, congressional records indicate that the Congress has actually determined two times in their record that uh, the National Attorneys Guild is a communist organization. And if you read McFadden's speech in 1933, the Congress, he actually did all of Congress. Um, because they're engaged in criminal acts. So as some of you may know, I'll just tell you a little bit of my personal stuff here. I have a case going on right now for alleged dumping over 500 pounds, which carries five years and $33,000. And um, in court, it's false. Uh, my boat was stolen uh, several times, and I kept getting it back because it would, they would, what they were doing was in the lines the anchor lines and then setting it adrift and it would always land somewhere. I was able to get it back up and uh, off, the, off the shore and then uh, re-anchor it. But apparently this last time, the DNR, which is the Department of Natural Resources, uh, seems to think that it can tell people what to do and what not to do with their personal and they're using commercial law like they do everywhere else because obviously they don't have any say-so, but they continue to use terms like vessel, which is a commercial term, but um, anyway, so while I was in court last time, I said, well, let me see what happens here. So I went to the public defender's office and uh, filled out for uh, no pay type of thing just to see what would happen. But I made it clear that, number one, I wasn't giving my social security number. And number two, that they were not going to be presenting me, that they were going to just simply be my counsel. Because that's what the Constitution says. You have the right to counsel, not somebody to to stand there and speak for you and represent you. Well, let me read you this letter because it's really fascinating. See if you guys on it. Uh, dear Mr. Yates, I have been appointed to represent you in the above caption case in the Circuit Court of Anne Arundel County. 
well, I don't know who appointed you, but I didn't. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Uh, so that's the first first clue right there. You must and listen to this letter. Now, this is supposed to be my counsel. You must appear for the status conference scheduled above. If you do not appear, a bench warrant will be issued for your arrest. Right there, first paragraph, scare tactic. First of all, they take control. I have been appointed to represent you in the above case caption, right? Well, no, like I said, I didn't appoint you, and who did? And who said that you could represent me? Um, so then they continue with the, with the scare tactic. Next paragraph, upon receipt of this letter, please contact my office immediately at such and such a number to schedule to schedule an appointment to discuss your case prior to the above status conference date. Unless you contact me promptly, you may waive the filing of certain preliminary motions by failing, uh, by failing to file within the time prescribed by the Maryland Rules of Procedure, which I've read all of them, and the only thing that's actually there has to do with the other party uh, that is required to – let me get it out real quick. Because that's what matters is what's written, not what they say. I'm having a little difficult time because this is a borrowed phone. Um, I was hoping to get some donations so that I could have my phone turned on. And by the way, I think I figured out one of the problems may be that I um, mentioned if you have PayPal that you can send it to Truthmonger3. And as it turns out, my PayPal is on Truthmonger2 at gmail.com. So if anyone did send something to 3, you probably never got there. Now, that is, Truthmonger3 is mine, so it's not like somebody else is receiving it. But I don't believe it. I don't believe that PayPal is under Truthmonger three. It's under Truthmonger two. So if you weren't able to try it again at Truthmonger two at gmail dot com, would be much appreciated. Um, as I said in my in my blitz here, that uh, because the Christmas holidays have been no work or even small time stuff, and the weather's been really miserable, and um, so my actually it's kind of because I ran out of food yesterday, and my neighbor invited me to dinner tonight, so I'm really full. So at least I'm not hungry tonight. Um, so let me go to this part right here. Um, and so far as anyone, if you want to donate minutes just for the phone, all you need to do is go get a net 10 card. You go to 7-Eleven and you buy it. It's a $43 card is, is the best one. Uh, it says $40 on it. It's, it says unlimited, but it's the $40 one. Um, net 10 is this blue and white card it's like any other uh, where the phone cards are glasses here because when you read as we've been taught to do in your state if I can find a page here okay I think I read this last time but I want to read this little bit to you because here trial and sentencing beginning of trial and district court um, demand for jury trial to section B I'll start at the beginning here. Uh, A, initial procedures. Immediately before beginning in trial in district court, the court shall, one, make certain the defendant has been furnished a copy of the charging document. Just um, inform the defendant of each uh, offense. Inform the defendant, when applicable, of the right to trial by jury, which they never did. Uh, four, four, comply with the rule 4-215 if necessary. And five, thereafter, call upon the defendant to plead to each charge. Um, and I think I remember I said that I was not going to plead because I have no need to plead. I said I was going to simply state a fact that I am innocent. B, uh, demand for jury trial. 
Number one, form and time of demand. A demand in the district court for jury trial shall be made either A, in writing, and unless otherwise ordered by the court or agreed by the parties, filed no later than 15 days before the scheduled trial date, or B, in open court on the trial date by the defendant and the defendant's counsel, if any, which is exactly what I did, if you remember. Two, procedure follow, following demand. Upon a demand by the defendant for jury trial, that deprives the district court of jurisdiction pursuant to law. The clerk may serve a circuit court summons on the defendant requiring the appearance of the circuit court at a specified time and date. The clerk shall properly transmit the case file to the clerk of the circuit court to show who shall then file the charging document. And if you remember also that um, the charging document was, even if I made the objection, the judge denied it because it wasn't it wasn't signed the charging document itself was not signed by an attorney the uh, prosecuting attorney and it's, as remember i found the definition that it must be signed by the attorney who can prosecute the case and the judge or the magistrate is not going to be prosecuting the case so his signature doesn't count even though that's what the judge said oh it's signed by my judicial officer not the one prosecuting the case is not asked um and if the defendant was not served in the circuit court summoned by the clerk of the district court, notify the defendant to appear before the circuit court. The circuit court shall proceed in accordance with Rule 4-213C as if the appearance were by reason of execution of the warrant. Thereafter, accept this requirement of criminal code, Article 6-103. Or unless the circuit court orders otherwise, pretrial procedures shall be governed by the rules in this title applicable in the district court. Discovery. Discovery in an action transferred to circuit court upon a trial a jury trial demand made in accordance with subsection B1A of this rule is governed by Rule 4-263. In all other actions transferred to the circuit court upon a jury trial demand, discovery is governed by Rule 4-262. All right? So now we go to 4-262. 262, please. And Rule-262... Uh, let's, let me make sure I get the right one here. Two six, yeah, four dash two six two. Says following: um, applicability. This rule governs discovery and inspection in the district. Court. Discovery is applicable in the district court in actions that are punishable by imprisonment. Definition: This rule determines defense, defense witness, oral statement provides states witnesses and written statements have the meaning stated in Rule four dash two sixty three b, which says. Let's see where 263B is. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Come on, Paige. One handed here. Uh, 263, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? It's 262 still. 263, what, is it? what was it? To flip back and forth, 263B. It's not as bad as you, what you would think it would be. The definition of our defense means the attorney of the defendant, the defendant, defense witness means a witness who is sent to call at the hearing or at trial. Oral statements provide unless of, okay, so that's just it. State, uh, state witnesses means the witness in the state attorney intends to call at a hearing or trial. Okay, so let's go back to 262. That has to do here, interesting here. Obligations of the parties. One, due diligence. The state's attorney and defense shall exercise all due diligence to identify all of the material and information that must be disclosed under this rule. Scope of obligations. The obligations of the state's attorney and the defense extend to material 
and information that must be disclosed under this rule and that are in the possession of control of the attorney, members of the attorney staff, or any other person, or either reports regularly to the attorney's office or has reported to the attorney's office in regard to the particular case. B, this is the one. Disclosure by the state's attorney. One, without request, period. Without the necessity of a request, the state's attorney shall provide to the defense all material or information in any form, whatever, or not admissible, that tends, whether or not admissible, that tends to exculpate the defendant or, may, or mitigate the defense guilt or punishment as to the offense charged, and all material or information in any form whether or not admissible, that tends to impeach the state's witness. Two, on request, on written request of the defense, the state's attorney shall provide the defense. A, statements of the defendant and co-defendant. Uh, on request of the defense, the state's attorney shall provide the defense. Statements of the defendants and co-defendants. <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me, all written and all oral statements of the defendant and any co-defendant that related charged in all material and information, including documents and recordings that relate to the acquisition of such statements. B, written statements of state's witnesses as to each state's witnesses and state's attorney intends to call to prove the state's case on in chief or to rebut alibi testimony. Those written statements of the witnesses that relate to the offense charges and are signed by or adopted by the witness. I.I. contained in the police or investigative report together with the name and act except as provided under Code Criminal Procedure 11205 or Rule 16-1009B, the address of the witnesses. Um, it goes on and on, searches and seizures, specific searches, pre-trial identification of defendants by the state's witnesses, expert witnesses, the opportunity to inspect. Okay, you must provide the opportunity to inspect and copy all written reports or statements made in connection with the action by the expert including the results of any physical examination, scientific test experiments, or comparison, and I, the substance of any oral report and conclusion by the expert. E, evidence for use at trial. The opportunity to inspect, copy, and photograph all documents, computer-generated evidence, as defined in Rule 2-5043A, recordings, photographs, and other tangible things that the state's attorney intends to use as hearing or, or at trial. And F, property of the defendant, the opportunity to inspect, copy, and photograph all items obtained from or belonging to the defendant, whether or not the state attorney intends to use them, uh, use the item at a hearing or at trial. Disclosure by defense, and here you go. This is the difference. Remember the first one, and D said, without request, the state attorney shall provide all that. Here, disclosure by defense. On written request of state's attorney, the defense shall provide to the state's attorney basically a reiterating of everything they were going to um, send here on motion, good cause shown, and so on. So then it goes on and says, on motion, file the attorney with reasonable notice to the defense of court for good cause shown shall order the defendant to appear and commit the taking of uh, vocal samples and so on. Now that has to do with other type of stuff. Um, da, 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 da. But you see the difference there is that it's very that because it was the, 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 and this is where it gets a little tricky, but it was a good thing I read the whole thing through, was that 262 has to do with if I did the oral request in court for the jury trial, it still goes by the district court rules. 
But if I had applied for it uh, in writing 15 days beforehand for a trial by jury, then it would have gone to 263, where I'm required, both parties are required um, to um, provide, let me see here, make sure, uh, da, 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 da. Okay, here it is. This is 263, discovering the circuit court. Due diligence, state's attorney and defense shall exercise due diligence to identify all the materials and information that must be disclosed under this rule. <clears throat> the obligation, state's attorney, and the defense extend to material and information that must be disclosed under this rule and that are in possession of control of the attorney members, etc. Disclosure by the state's attorney without the necessity of a request the state's attorney shall provide. Okay, so there you have it in all cases. <clears throat> which makes sense because you have the right to face your accuser. You're the one who's being charged. You have the right to know all the evidence that might be used against you. So the only real question is, now here, disclosure by defense under 263 without necessity of request, the defense shall provide the state's attorney. But that is if I made the request uh, prior, 15 days prior to the first hearing. Otherwise, it goes back to 262, which is we just read, disclosure by defense upon written request of the state's attorney. The, the defense shall uh, provide the state's attorney. So we can see here clearly that uh, under these rules, I'm not required to provide unless they give me a written notice. Now, I've already called and requested. I've seen him that day in court, and he's refused to give me and has not given me disclosure as required without me requesting it. I've already called him and requested it. So we have him coming in with, with unclean hands, essentially, uh, um, uh, not acting in, in, in uh, not on good faith. Now, the reason I set you up for that is because listen to what this letter says. This is a letter that's supposed to be in a, an attorney that supposedly believes he's supposedly representing me. Okay? It was, first of all, an assumption, which is bullshit. But, um, but it's interesting because listen to, the, listen to the tonality of the letter and tell me if you think he's on my side or not. I mean, this is just beautiful evidence. Um, upon written receipt of this letter, uh, okay, I read that second part. It is important that you maintain contact so that we can provide the best possible defense. Yeah, right, my ass. Keep us advised of any changes in your situation, particularly any changes of address. If we have lost contact with you, you fail to appear at the time of the trial, the court will issue a warrant or your arrest. Here's another fear factor again. You catching it? Because remember, we had it the first. Furthermore, under the Maryland discovery rules, we are required to advise the prosecutor of the names and addresses of any witnesses we intend to call at your trial. If we do not timely provide this information, the court could prevent us from calling those witnesses. Really? Thus, it is very important that you contact me as soon as possible, discuss your case, and be prepared to provide the names and addresses of any witness you have so I can speak with them. Uh, <clears throat> so the letter, if you, you know, when you listen to the letter, it's, it's kind of humorous because you hear the threats twice. You hear the assumption of taking control of what we're supposed to do, and nowhere in there does he mention about the discovery on the other side, which they're required to provide, which we just said. Uh, let me see. What was that? Guess number six. What was the word? Uh, I don't even know what the word was. Uh, phone bill, what that? Okay, I don't know. No, there's no debt. It's a matter of my my phone, it, uh, it's a prepaid phone kind of thing, and for $40 a month, uh, it's a net 10 phone, and for $40 a month, I get unlimited, <clears throat> which for all the people that I've been talking to, I kind of use the unlimited. Otherwise, you could go over, and it would cost a lot more, so just that's the best one. It used to be 53, but I found the 43 works good. 
since I don't need the internet. But um, but what you can do is, like I say, if somebody wants to uh, volunteer while you're at 7-Eleven or some grocery stores have it, pick up a phone card for me. And uh, what you do is you scratch the numbers off. It's a net 10. It'll say net 10. It's a blue and white card. It'll say net 10 unlimited, but it'll be the $40 one. And it's $3 for, you know, this what they charge to sell you the card. So they make $3 off of each card. Um, and then you just scratch the numbers off and you can text them to me or um, you can call this number, which I don't even know what it is right this minute. I'll tell you in a second here when I, before I get off. Um, this is, um, um, is a phone that Tony loaned me so I could at least get some calls done. But it has limited minutes, so I'm going to keep this call kind of short. Um, so that's the deal there. And I made a mistake last last uh, call when I asked for donations, um, you know, so I can get groceries at this time of year. Um, you know, $20 makes a difference. I know it doesn't sound like it's not very much at all, but 20 to $30 is enough to, to last me a week. Um, so it's, it's, you know, I'm not that expensive. But um, I've I gave the wrong number out. I thought it was Truthmonger 3. As it turns out, it's Truthmonger 2 if you have PayPal. Um, other than that, I gave out my address last time. It's uh, 15013 Shaw Road, S-C-H-A-L-L Road. Um, and that's an Acokeek, A-C-C-O-K-E-E-K, Maryland 20607. And I don't really care how you write it. It'll get here. Um, you just put it in care of what's good for me. Um, what else? Oh, so I wanted to share that with you. Um, it's also fascinating that I got a tax bill or assessment from a property, um, which is, uh, some acreage I had up in the mountains, which supposedly was sold by a, the property itself. We know wasn't sold, but they sold a counterfeit tax deed. Um, um, and so here they get a new appraisal of, of the property. They say it's not a tax bill, but it's an appraisal of the property. So uh, that's going to give me another opportunity to go after them and start that process of stopping uh, stopping them from doing what they're doing. And first of all, asking them, by what authority are you doing it? I mean, all of it always comes down to the same thing. By what authority? Show me the contract. And there's a lot of ways, and you can stand on different things. Uh, the thing that, I, that is, to me, blatantly clear is in Article 1, Section 10, I believe it is. Oh, gosh, I've forgotten again. Uh, in the Constitution, where the no state shall make any law respecting the um, enforcement of contracts. It's very, very clear. Okay, let me get my glasses again. Here, uh, it's Article yeah Article One Section Ten, and it's uh, no state shall enter into any treaty, alliance, or confederation, grant letters of marquee, reprisal, coin money, emit bills of credit, make anything but gold and silver coin a tender in payment of debts, pass any bill of retainer ex post facto law, or law impairing the obligation of contract, or grant any type of nobility. So clearly, if they cannot uh, any law to the um, obligation of contract. really cannot make respecting no contract. So he says, 
your light or your power, you actually call it power, your power to contract is absolute. So obviously your power to not contract is equally as absolute. And so that's why I say to them, show me the contract. Where is the contract that I have with you? And that's actually very accurate because that's really what they need to do is to show how they put a lien on the property in the first place. There had to be some sort of a contract or obligation. Remember, a lien is an unfulfilled obligation. And so because you have not fulfilled the obligation, they then put a lien on property in the attempt to collect the obligation. Okay? It may be a monetary obligation. or Now, they have to perfect it, which means they have to prove that there was, in fact, an obligation. They can't just put a lien on there, go, okay, there's a lien on there. And that's why some people, I think, got in trouble with these judges, is that, you know, you need to go through a process um, and you need to perfect your lien um, um, in, in, in order for it to be, to be true. And, and, and as we know, they don't even do that. They never, you go look at, you will see that, that, that there's no proper lien put on any property for, for alleged property taxes. So they're skipping all these steps. And I've heard them say, oh, well, a property tax is considered a lien. I don't care what you consider. What does the law say? Unless you can show me somewhere in the law where you're exempt from the law, uh, it's not going to happen. And as we said before, they have to show where this obligation was derived from. Where is the contract? Now, if you're engaged in a commercial activity, obviously you went and filled out an application for some sort of permit in order to engage in that type of activity on that particular property. And then that portion of that property would be uh, um, taxable under the proper CITIS. And again, where's the CITIS for private property, for you know, casual use, whatever it is that you're using it for private use? There isn't one. There can't be. Otherwise, there'd be no necessity to have a revolutionary war. That's what 99% of it about was the right to own property and to own it alloidially, which means absolutely in your own right as a king or a queen. Okay? So it's, it's real simple. Um, there's no hunky-dory I was reading the other day something uh, which sounded rather interesting to me. Uh, let me see if I can find it here real quick. Uh, where was it? Let me see if I can find it. Finally getting used to this computer a little bit. Uh, where was it? Where was it? Where was it? Nope, that's not it. Globalist thinking. Oh, that's something else. Where did it go? Hello? Somebody want to say something? Here, where are you? I may have, oh, it may have got bumped off already. Sometimes this computer would do that. It'll just bump it off. Maybe this is it here. Yeah, I think this is the one. Anyway, it, it looked like a good... Um, it looked like a good thing at first. Let's see if I can get it back here. No, that's not it. Where on earth did it go? And what the anyway? So what they were talking, you know, I did the the first side seemed to be pretty good, but um, and interesting. And it was talking about how there is a question in the Supreme Court right now as to whether the lower courts can supersede the Constitution. And it's uh, DOJ had to do the Department of Justice, big giant cover up had to do with thousands and thousands of people in jail under 18 USC. And I can't, that's why I want to find the exact number uh, that it was not properly passed. 
And I don't believe it's all of 18. It was just that particular one, which is the one that allows them to prosecute for federal crimes. And uh, they can show that it was required under the Constitution for there to be a certain number of votes by the Congress. And they didn't even come close. It was like 240-some votes had to be made. And there was only like 15 yeas and like nine nays. And they, pa- they allegedly passed it, which clearly you can't pass it if you don't have the right number of votes. Um, I, think, I don't think Paul called it quorum. They called it something else. Here it is, here it is, here it is. I found it. Woo-hoo. And for those people who want this uh, article, um, and you'll see what I wrote uh, on the flip side on it, it's called um, Maine, M-I-N-E, and you have to put the HTT double dot forward slash forward slash Maine, M-A-I-N-E, Republic, R-E-P-U-B-L-I-C, um, email, E-M-A-I-L, alert, A-L-E-R-T dot com. That's all one, Maine, Republic, email, alert dot com, forward slash, 214, forward slash, 12, forward slash, 31, forward slash, the high, dash, biggest, dash, cover, dash, up, dash, in, dash, D-O-J, dash, history, dash, is, oh gosh, uh, let me see, I gotta get this over here, is, dash, now, dash, before, dash, the, dash, supreme, dash, court, forward slash, and then you'll get it, okay? You might have to listen to the recording to get it, because I don't want to, you know, go too slow, I'm kind of running, running low on time here. Um, biggest cover-up ever DOJ history is now before the Supreme Court. Um, this is what they're talking about here. On July 27th, Harley G. Lappin issued an internal memorandum to staff from his email address, Harley, H-A-L-E-Y dot Lappin, L-A-P-P-I-N, at U-S-D-O-J dot gov, stating that because of the large amount of requests for administrative relief related to Title 18, Public Law 80-772, the federal criminal code that that he had commenced an investigation by the Office of Special Counsel, DOG, the clerk of the House of Representatives of the National Archives, to determine if Title 18 was unconstitutional. The investigation determined that indeed Title 18 was, is unconstitutional. Title 18 includes 18 U.S.C. 3231, which is the only statute allowing prosecution of any federal crime, including Title 21 and Title 26. Based on the investigation, Lappin went to the state uh, that the House of Representatives had violated the quorum clause of the Constitution when the House voted 36 to 6 for passage when a quorum requires 218 votes. The quorum issue is governed by Article 1, Section 5, Clause 1 of the Constitution, and the only Supreme Court case to rule on the quorum issue was United States versus Ballin, B-A-L-I-N, Joseph and Company. 144 U.S. in, in 1892. Um, on December 8, 2010, under pressure from the DOG, DOJ Lappin issued a declaration of penalty purge in the federal court in New York, claiming he never issued the memorandum. Lappin was then forced to resign. Within the last few months, the evidence has been uncovered that the DOJ engaged in a massive cover-up to conceal their investigation so people could not use it to have their case dismissed 
pre-trial or to be removed from prison based on a claim of actual innocence after trial. Hello? The cover-up began in 2008 when the DOG investigation started. The cover-up violates numerous criminal statutes as well as Brady v. Maryland 373 U.S. 83 1963 and the Clean Hands Doctrine. In the last few months, we have had witnesses come forward and prepare affidavits stating they had received a copy of the Lappin Memorandum from the warden in their prison, which this is the part that just started not making a lot of sense to me. And the whole thing about the 18, I've heard this before a couple years ago about the uh, eight, but I'm not sure if it includes the whole of 18 USC or not. I certainly hope not because I love 18, as you guys know, 18 USC 241, 242, 471 to 474. Those are the ones I personally like because we can uh, hold them accountable under it. If two or more, I'd give you 241, if two or more persons conspire to injure, oppress, threaten, or intimidate any person in any state, territory, commonwealth, district, possession, uh, uh, possession or district in the free exercise or enjoyment of any right secured to them by the constitutional laws of the state, or if two or more, or two more persons go on the highway with the intent, uh, I forget what the rest of it is spelled on it, Anyway, they can serve up to two years, I mean, 10 years. So that's the reason I like that. Um, so I don't want this necessarily to go through, but if they can find that that particular part um, is is improper, then that would be fine, okay? But uh, there's things that don't make sense because why would a prison warden be passing out copies of the memorandum, okay? Uh, so I'll just keep reading. We now have two affidavits and have identified 1,800 people in one prison that attended a town hall meeting where the warden passed out a copy of the memorandum. We are looking for other witnesses. So they only have two affidavits, but they allegedly have 1,800 witnesses. That doesn't make much sense either. The petition has passed the lower courts, and the Supreme Court accepted it as docket number 14-527 on November 7, 2014, so just recently. The government went to argument. That part is interesting. The government waived argument on November 21st, 2014. The court sent it to the judges on December 3rd, 2014 for review on January 9th, 2014. So it's not going to be too far away. In the petition, two questions were presented to the Supreme Court. Questions presented. One, can a lower district or appellate court overrule Article 1, Section 5, Clause 1, the Quorum Clause of the Constitution? And the only Supreme Court ruling on the, on the quorum clause, United States First, Ballin, Joseph and Company, in, 1990, in 1892. In parentheses, in order for any bill to be valid, the journals of both houses must show it was passed in the presence of a quorum. That's the question. Two, can a federal district or appellate court participate in and conceal a DOJ cover-up where the director of the BOP Issues a memorandum on July 27, 2009, after review of the Office of the Special Counsel, the Clerk of the House, and the National Archives, declaring that Public Law 80-772, okay, this is what I'm hoping, it's not all of 18, but only 80-772, is unconstitutional in violation of the Quorum Clause of the Constitution, question mark. So those are the two questions uh, before the court, which is, they're asking, can a federal district or appellate court uh, participate in a concealed cover-up, or can it uh, overrule um, the Constitution, the quorum clause in the Constitution? So, and then, of course, they want people to send in um, uh, uh, people to petition the court and so on. It gives all the information. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Now, it's interesting on the sideline, 
there was uh, uh, something of interest to me where it stated, um, let me get this part back again, it said all debts are prepaid, and then it goes through the diatribe of, and, and, and it's not that, uh, it, you know, the United States constricted, conscripted, that is borrowed, in, an interest in everything that we would ever do and create, a usufruct relationship where our interest and the ownership of everything within our estate transferred over to them. Well, as you know, I studied all that stuff before, and there may be some truth to it except for one problem. How and by what authority do they, would they have to take that which they have no authority in the first place? Okay? If they didn't have interest in things, then how can they take the interest in it? Okay? Uh, let me keep reading here. User population where our interest in the ownership of everything within our estate transferred over to them, not without my consent, not without my not full disclosure, and and uh, there has to be something in return. Um, and they never gave their control of our property back to us. They have no lawful right to any of it. That's correct, and no valid claim to us. Correct, our land, our business, our children, or any other asset of ours. Correct. See. They're talking out of both sides of their mouth. This is the only problem with this with this stuff. These thieves are pretending are pretending that we consent to the circumstance and volunteered to subject ourselves to United States jurisdiction for the war of effort, uh, for the war effort in a war that has been uh, over almost a hundred years. So I guess they're talking about the Civil War then, that allegedly everybody was conscripted at that point, which. Obviously, they couldn't. The expenses that they that they are responsible for are the expenses of all the shill legal, legal fiction entities that they have entered, created, and run in your net by abusing the right of usufruct. Those expenses included the expenses of debt of the federal state, uh, foreign citus trust, citus trust, uh, doing business as uh, he had his upper lower case. Uh, David Everett Robinson and the Puerto Rican Trust doing business as all uppercase David Everett Robinson and the United Nations and the United Nations transmitting utility doing business as David E. Robinson and so on ad infinitum. So what is the point he's making is that all these different names that they are creations of theirs. And I don't disagree with anything that they're saying necessarily. The question is whether it's lawful and whether it will get you anywhere. So they, he went in the whole use of front thing. It was pretty interesting. And your signature was pretty interesting. Uh, and then, of course, regarding HGR 192 and the A for Vs and why you're supposed to be, you know, I don't agree with the A for V, uh, which means accepted for value. I say AV, which is accepted as value. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Because when I read the law several years ago, my conclusion was he who wrote it, it he who, you know, it's the old thing, he who, he who smelt and dealt it kind of thing. So if you, if they wrote it, if they send you a bill, when you look at it, it's not a bill, okay? And if you want to consider it a bill, it's like a dollar bill in that sense, okay? Because if you look at it, the lower section looks just like a check. And I've actually done this, you know, and, and, and I've done different things to prove my point and succeeded many times. So, but I, I, I'm not using it because most people don't know it. Um, and they wouldn't use it if, if it was available, and that's not the reason I did it. I did it as an experiment. But you actually can take the lower part, which looks like a check, and you can put in the amount, and you and then say uh, return in lawful money pursuant to 18 U.S.C. 241. 
um, and send it to the upper lowercase proper name uh, at this address. And basically what you're doing is you're signing the um, you're signing the instrument and you're telling them to please cash it. Now, the most important thing I found out to that, um, particularly with the IRS, is to be sure to make a statement or put in $2, $5, $10, a check, or to simply put the commitment. What I put in there is to, to deduct any amount necessary to convert it into lawful money pursuant to 18 U.S.C. 241. I mean, uh, what am I saying? Uh, uh, I just lost it. Um, what is that one? HJR 192, which is actually, um, uh, what is it, 86? Oh, I forgot it. 76. Hey, that's 4291. 4291, thank you very much. So, um, and, and put that down there and send it to them. Of course, you never hear back from them and the bill disappears because what they're actually supposed to do is cash that check and send it back to me in lawful money. Um, but they don't do that. So, But they do, ironically enough, the bill does appear. Um, I've done that in some other processes as well. Um, then it's on Constitution Republic taken over by the North um, and talks about uh, understanding the process, the difference to do bankruptcy, uh, if the goal of people's promised all their debts are prepaid. Uh, this means that the international banking cartel came up with the Economic Security Offer, a.k.a. SSN, the Socialistic Security Act. This new deal is not a bad deal if it were honored. Substantiable benefits at old age, a secure place to reside, health care, all the essentials of living, a method of transportation, everything is actually all prepaid because we are basically shareholders in the United States Corporation because of our birth certificate bonds. If you are part of a corporation, you're a part, you're a part stockholder, so you should be getting dividends from the stock, yearly or monthly, but we're not getting anything at all. So this is definitely done behind our backs with a birth certificate bond without full disclosure of the contract or anything explained. All this to protect you, protect you from what? Broken promises, it goes on. Uh, uh, he talks about the promissory note, uh, scam you of your own money every time you put your signature on their so-called promissory note. And I don't disagree with any of that. All that is absolutely true, from my research anyway. Um, um, now, this is interesting. The most likely question is, why do they need our signature so badly? The simple, this, uh, the simple answer is because you are the creditor and the debtor. You create the money every time you sign a fraudulent contract with the international bankers. So he didn't go into much detail on it. And how do we know this? And he goes on, he talks about that. Once again, understand the process. Then he goes into UCC, your signature is required, so you have a hold of debt. Now, I mentioned before, and I've said this several times, that it, unless you have a EIN number, employer identification number, I don't do the UCC stuff. Now, I do see the possibility after reading this article that you could conceivably use the, your social security number as the EIN number and then file it that way, but that would be under the all caps name if you're going to do that. And I think, um, and there's people know much more about this than I do at this point. I studied it before, I forgot half of it, and I, I moved on to the, to the law stuff. But I believe that you would want to be the general executor. Um, David Clarence was had something going on that he had, you know, supposedly discovered 
Um, and I think I told the story about that, that it was a bunch of bull and, um, went to court with somebody either when the first time I actually looked at the document before it was even utilized, the guy barely even stated anybody could hear on oh, the executor of the account, you know, the executor, executrix. That was just David trying to make some more money again. Like he used, you know, like he's done before and not saying that the man doesn't have certain brilliance, but like so many other people, what happens, they go through maybe one law book somewhere and they read one or two things. And then they go and blow it out of proportion. And they think that's the golden ticket. And, you know, it's like I was showing you a minute ago how by reading this whole thing, all 600 pages of it, and I've still got actually another 1,000 pages to go on the other book, of the criminal uh, rules and procedure here is how I learned about that one particular part as to that if I demanded a jury trial in, in, in the district court, orally in the court instead of previously, then I'm he then the the attorney has to request it from me and, and at no time do I have to request it from him. So you see, it, it's the devil's in the details. You need to know the details and to get it straight. And when you start seeing the details, you'll be seeing how the pieces of the puzzle all fit. And what happens all too many times, and you see this with with uh, what was this Tim Turner stuff? Well, you see it with his bond stuff of people making these three hundred million dollar bonds and giving one hundred fifty million dollars to. Uh, you know, I think it was Geithner last time or whatever, and then they charge you three or four thousand dollars to see how you get your other hundred fifty million dollars. Okay, it's it's just you know, come on, it's it's, it's something asinine in, in that process there. Why do you need to pay several thousand dollars if it's something that's in law? You should be able to read it and find out for yourself. And right? be very clean, very plain, and very clear. Now, the other day I went to a show, um, Merlin, Dave Merlin. Uh, and I'll get to his, if anyone knows his number, I had a uh, number on the talk shoe. I believe it is Monday at uh, 8 o'clock, I think. If somebody knows, they can correct me. Um, but um, first time listening to him, I talked to him before on the phone, I mean, a couple of years ago. But um, it was so nice, sweet to hear somebody else say that the law is perfect. Now, when you told me that if you'd have said that to me five years ago or four years ago, I would have said, no, it's not. It's corrupted as hell. But what he's saying, he's not saying that the people aren't corrupted. He says the law is perfect because when you read the law and you apply the law, it's perfect. And that's the whole point is that people are not reading it and they're not applying it. And therefore it's not perfect. Now we know that they're not applying the law perfectly. They're corrupting the law or they're misapplying the law. And that's why you have to know the law so you can see and spot them when they are misapplying it. Um, so bankers demand even more money as it goes on with the um, signatures, uh, owners of gold pay the bills, and, and all the stuff is great, and I agree with it on principle. All the stuff makes perfect sense. Uh, burst dividend bonds, how do they work? Uh, another example um, blah, 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 blah. What is the UCC talks about that? Um, and now here was interesting in this one list that he had. I thought this was profound because you heard me the other time when I was talking about the court that I was in, and they were charging this guy with fishing. And the guy, and the guy, and the attorney, the guy, the attorney did a dance. I mean, the guy was kind of funny. He was dancing and dancing and dancing. He was basically begging and pleading, "Please don't hurt my client," because he's, he was, you know, he he had screwed up so many times before. But that's because he was fishing, allegedly fishing, when he uh, had a suspended fishing license. And he was trying to get the D Department of Natural Resources to say that 
once the suspension is over, which I think is like seven years, that, that they would allow him to get a fishing license again. Never once did the attorney ever step and go, excuse me, the man was not fishing. He was merely catching fish or attempting to catch fish, which is the same thing between, uh, you know, a, a, a vehicle that you're driving or a vessel that is being used in, the, in transporting or transportation of commodities or goods. It's all basically the same thing. It has to do with transporting or transportation, which, which is a commercial term, not traveling with whatever it is you may have on your back or in your car, your boat, or whatever it is. You see, it, this, is the, this is where the whole problem and the tricks come in is they're, they're applying the improper the, uh, commercial stuff. What made me so angry was that there was not one commercial entity in that courtroom at all that was being charged with any with any uh, with anything, and that's the only people that that's the only person, excuse me, that they that these things are written for because it's the only thing that the state can have control over is its own property, and that means somebody who has a license, as I said before, a contract. Show me the contract, okay? Show me the um, corporate charter. Show me uh, the license, whatever, that I had to have in order to engage in the activity I'm engaged in. So it, it, one of the things he says here, uh, your right to travel is now a privilege to drive. No, it's, it, you could call it unlawful conversion, but, um, but it, technically speaking, the law is perfect because if you look at the definition of driving, um, you will see that it has nothing to do with travel, okay, the right to travel or traveling. Your right to free speech is now a privilege to protest. Uh, your right to hold property is now an asset that can be seized. Your right to hunt and fish is now a privilege to hunt and fish, which can be fined, which is not true because, again, the devil's in the detail. What he could have written here was your right to hunt and fish is now is now uh, being misrepresented as hunting and fishing. You see the difference? Um, as a process, as a commercial process. On and on and on. Free yourself from the system by filing UCC financing statement. I'm going to read it again and try to, you know, study it again. I have my own reasons for not doing that because I believe that if you use the law the way it's supposed to be and 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 and, and, and you know go after them for their criminal acts, it's simple criminal acts what they're doing, and not necessarily uh, a huge conspiracy. Even though it probably is a huge conspiracy, but not how you're going to go after it because you're not going to end up proving it in court. And I've never seen anywhere where it talks about, oh, you can't do anything because your rights were sold or you, were, you became chattel under Roosevelt or Lincoln. I've never seen it in any document. I've never seen any court case that says that um, unless it's a commercial uh, or, or, or I've seen some stuff that judges are saying stupid stuff. But the one that I did like is he goes in CAFR, the CAFR accounts, Comprehensive Annual Financial Report, is the government's complete amount of net worth. The CAFR was established as local government's complete accounting record starting in 1946 through the efforts of a private group uh, located out of Chicago, Illinois, by the name of Government Financial Offices Association, GFOA. And that's HTTP double dot forward slash forward slash gfoa.org which names which became mandatory by fed requirements on all local governments in 1978 to come to complete if they had not already done so from there then 84,000 capital reports produced by local governments each year 
in combination with his own investment building, shows a comprehensive, a conservative value of some $60 trillion. Now, I knew about this before. If you've ever seen Corporation Nation, you want to go see Corporation Nation, if it's still on YouTube, uh, Corporation Nation, and you should watch, uh, in my opinion, uh, the Obama conspiracy, I think was it, and then there's the updated, um, the, what was it, the Land of Oz? No, it was, um, what was it? Um, Gosh, I've almost forgotten it. Um, hmm, the Secrets of Oz. That's what it was. The Secrets of Oz. Um, and you want to see the whole thing. It's very interesting, very fascinating, and it's been an award-winning uh, video, actually, um, from more than uh, $60 trillion. Uh, and you can find it. In, in Corporation Nation, you will find how to go on the Internet and actually find your, your local... Uh, municipal government, how much it really has when they're telling you that they don't have any funds. Um, they held, and that was as of 1999. An example of the holdings shown from just one government CAFR, New York State 2005 require, uh, re- Retirement Fund CAFR, shows $133 billion of investments held. Microsoft, 44 million shares thereof. Okay, you get in the picture. And, and you know, this goes, goes back to what I was saying before. How many people would create a corporation and make it so that you had to keep dumping money into it, dumping money into it, and so that your great-grandkids would have to keep dumping money into it? That's not the reason that you create a corporation to do and to provide something as well as usually profit. Well, there's clearly profit, but they're stealing from the people not telling them that this is yours. This is all ours. This is the thing that we've got to get our heads wrapped around. All of this was given to us by the creator, Okay. And guess who created government? We did. As I've said this before, do you own the toaster or does the toaster own you? Of course you own the toaster. You went to the store and you bought it so it would toast your toast. That is how I look at the government. It is something that we created in order to secure these rights. What does it say? That to secure these rights, government is due among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive, these ends is the right of the people to alter abolish it, to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to effect their safety and happiness. Very simple. All right? So if this isn't working, we need to do something about it. Not them. We do. Okay? The toaster is not going to fix itself. All right? Instead, Secure Party Credit talks about that. Um, the best system uh, implemented financial slavery to ruin. And it goes on. Anyway, I wrote something back, and I don't know how well it's going to be, but I, this is what I wrote. I said, wow, so much to say. Hmm. In theory, this is all true, but how has it worked out in practice over the last 10 years? Because that's how long I've been listening to it. In the end, that is what matters most. Fact is that there are no filings in any court of any prosecutor of any party that has said, due to XYZ Lincoln or Roosevelt or the man's birth certificate bond, he is a subject and has no rights and is just chattel or anything remotely like that. So what makes more sense is to go after them for failure to abide by the written law. It, such as uh, 18 U.S.C. 241, 242, 40, uh, 471 through 474, under 42, uh, uh, doing a uh, 42, 1983 deprivation of rights case and force them to negotiate or go to jury trial. 
Those that have actually learned the law and the application properly win. We, excuse me, you can still stand upon it and force them to abide by it if you have the fortitude and stamina, which actually is less difficult the more you know their BS and distractions and how to make your record. As one man who has won every case forced them by paying millions to keep quiet, and, um, excuse me, um, and they definitely do not uh, mess with them anymore, property taxes traveling nothing because they do not want to get bit again. In other words, the people that I know that have taken them to task and has done it right and has caused them to go to the negotiation table, they do not mess with them in any way, shape, form, fashion, or manner, or their neighbors. They don't even have a neighborhood anymore from what I understand, okay? Because this is, you know, there's your freedom. And there's your, you know, we have an obligation to know the law to keep our public servants straight anyway. Um, says that once you get, he says that once you get the process and how it is designed to work and work it, it is like shooting ducks in a barrel. They have been doing it wrong for so long, unlawful for so long, that they think it is correct. So we'll make record of their criminal acts without any problem. You just have to record it, make a record of it, present it properly as exhibits and evidence along with statutes, law, constitutional law, and case law to back it up so there is nowhere for them to go. Once you box them in properly, they will negotiate. And by more people doing this, we will correct the system because it will no longer be profitable. Then and only then will they withdraw and we can have the law applied properly at every level. Personally, I believe a huge solution is for the people to simply get petitions together and get a referendum uh, on the ballot for the people to vote, quote, all public servants shall be tested every six months as to their knowledge, understanding, and accurate use of the unanimous declaration of independence, the public trust from which all government is derived from, and the principles upon which they are founded upon, and the Constitution, both the United States and various states. The operator's manual and all laws, statutes, codes, rules, regulations, USC, public policy, to which they are subject to by office. Again, they personally are subject to it because they are getting paid and they hold that office. That's why the first question I asked them is, who are you? If you remember we t- telling you about the thing in D.C., the first question that came out of my mouth was, who are you? And he says, you can't go in there. First I said, actually, well, why not? He said, it's a public place. I said, that's great, continued walking. And then he says, you can't go in there. I said, why not? And he says, because I said so. Dumb mistake. The moment he said, because I said so, that's when I said, well, who are you? Oh, I'm Secret Service agent so-and-so. Oh, really? Do you have any evidence of that claim? Okay. Now, this is after four years of all this nonsense and trying to figure out how to make claims and so on and so forth. Now, I don't have a problem making a claim to my rights that are guaranteed by the Constitution. I don't have a problem with, with the protection. And this is what was so sweet to me here is just to hear Somebody saying that you can stand upon those rights and that the law is perfect. Um, so um, that's basically the little ditty that I wanted to share with you guys tonight is that I really, really think that this is what we need to do is just keep pushing it forward and, um, you know, make them suffer. You know, every single time that they do something and we come back at them and we know the law. Now, I haven't got my whole strategy out yet because now I've added a new player to the to the uh, to the group, this alleged uh, public pretender. I'm going to feel him out uh, tomorrow and 
and uh, and then give him either his marching orders or, or he's going to, you know, be my, my um, because when the Constitution says you have the right to counsel, not for somebody to represent you. So that's where I'm headed with that. I wanted to just kind of um, bring you guys up to date and um, see if anyone had any thoughts on the matter. Let me pull the window back open again. All right, let's see. Is that your belief? I don't believe. Yikes. Okay. Uh, to our redemption. Either most persecuted or government property, less than 1% or not. How does one do it right? Oh, how does, guess nine. How does one do it right? Well, the first thing is to get the education that you were deprived of uh, when you're in school. And that is to first read the unanimous Declaration of Independence, particularly the part memorized by heart. I suggest you do the same. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, endowed by the Creator with certain unalienable rights, certain, not uncertain, certain uh, unalienable rights, that among these rights are the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their powers just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter, abolish, and institute new forms of government laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its in such form as to them shall seem most likely to effect which means to cause it to happen their safety. Yes. And then read 18 U.S.C. 241 and 242. I know 241, which I just did a minute ago, a uh, few more persons conspire to injure, oppress, threaten, or intimidate anybody, any person, any state, territory, commonwealth, uh, possession, or district in the free exercise or enjoyment of any right secured to them by the constitutional laws of the United States. They serve up to 10 years. Of um, you're bound by the public policy, which can be changed, challenged successfully, correct? Um, and by the way, you're still not bound by them. The only one that's bound, if you go in the Article 6, Constitution, this Constitution of the laws which shall be made in pursuance thereof, supreme law of the land, and the judges in every state shall be bound thereby. Okay, so this is why you want to make a record. What happens is we go off thinking that these people um, are, you know, that they're, they've got off the wagon somewhere and that we're going to hold them accountable. Oh, you're not supposed to do that. They don't even know that they're not supposed to do what they're, what they're doing. Okay? Uh, blah, blah, blah. So far, guess seven is, seems to be right on. I'm a man, not a corporation, trust slave king. Okay, da da da. If you don't buy a toaster, then who owns it? <laughs> okay. Uh, public policy says we are still under the New Deal. Emergency powers. Uh, your corporation at time is public defendant liable for the name. Yeah, I was thinking about that, guess nine. Um, uh, you know, I'm. I want, I'm not sure the you know I'm not sure of the game I want to play yet. Um, I need to maybe sit down and think about the strategy and maybe make him the uh, as I said. Um, I have heard of people being the general um, um, executive executor of the of the trust, and then you as the general executor you can make other people the specific or special executors so they become the liable party. 
Uh, that's the most powerful one that I've heard. I have not studied it, so I can't really say. And at this point, I would rather study what the law says so that I can hold them accountable to it in the courts what they're accustomed to and use case law to back it up. Um, you probably will not find, uh, although I know one person that went into court and she had done the assignment of the uh, of the uh, equitable interest in the property over to the United States, but retained the usufruct of it. And so she basically just really said, well, you have to bring the right party in. This is only the person who has usufruct of it. And you need the proper party, which would be the United States. And of course, the the attorney was like, oh, crap. He's not going to bring the United States in, but the court accepted that. So apparently that does work if you do it right. Um, do-do-do-do-do. Yes, uh, but I can. Okay, I'm never a, be a corporation, but I can always act as an agent for a corporation. Do not challenge them in their legalese. Less than point one win. Um, okay, that is just what the people did in 1933. Alter reform of government and law. Where's the law that says you can't make checks numbers? Uh, the Civil War. America made all United States pay for the debt owed. Do not let the pub defender get you to sign anything. Agreed? Uh, why would you want to use it? I don't. I'm not going to. I'm poking the chicken. Um, it's all on him. If the attorney's on you, then you can charge him with war crimes. Hmm, interesting. It's on him. If he... If the, if the attorney on you, then you charge him with war crimes. Not sure what you're saying there, guest nine. Use their system. What is a host thing? Um, no, it's not their system. It's our system. And that's what we need to um, make sure that we understand that this is our system designed and created to, um, to, um, to protect us. And they're misusing it. They're misapplying it. Like I said, this whole thing in this case, they're misapplying because they're using the term vessel. Okay? It's a private boat. It's, a, it's, a, it's my private property that somebody stole by cutting the lines and then apparently washed up on a beach somewhere. And they're calling that dumping and they're calling an abandoned vessel. We'll look up as a, a couple, listen to the recording a couple weeks ago, uh, probably what, almost a month ago now. When I went and looked up the definition on American jurisprudence, people, if you don't have American jurisprudence, I don't care how you get it. I, I personally got it uh, from a good friend who had access to it, and I paid 200 at that time. It's now up to 250 which is a steal of a deal because you have um, um, jurisdictionary on there um, and a bunch of forms. You have a bunch of stuff. That's, you also have the... Um, the um 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 I lost the case I lost it um the uh the uh, federal practices manual for the um for a uh, civil for basically civil rights violations which is what what I'm studying right now is a uh, forty two nineteen eighty three civil it's it's basically your rights it's a violation of due of due process violation of your rights. Under 18, one of them is 18 U.S.C. 241, which I just spoke, which I just mentioned to you a second ago. So that's what I mean when I say use the law 
which they, they have not corrupted the law. The law is not corrupted. They are misapplying the law. Okay, they cannot corrupt the law. The law is the law. It's written. It's clearly written. But most people do not read it. And that's part of what we're saying here. That's why I've spent so much time reading it to people so that you understand that they're misapplying it, misusing it. Okay, commercial law has nothing to do with me and my private property. I'm not engaged in any commercial activity. They, all these rules, regulations, and laws, they can only dictate to themselves. Look at, I mean, just the most obvious thing is look what the IRS stands for, internal revenue service. Well, if it's internal, what the hell are they messing with you? You're not internal to the United States, okay? You're not an agent of the United States. You're not an internal revenue generator, right? The United States guarantees you the equal, the equal uh, uh, protections of the law, not the equal, the equal uh, screwing of the law. Okay, so you just need to know this. And the statutes, when you read them, like I, like I finally did on the property, is not until I went and read the definition of person. I thought, oh, my God, the first time I read it, a person, what is a taxpayer? A taxpayer is defined as a person who is required to file tax returns. Well, that must be because I must be a person. And a person who is required to pay the taxes. Well, that must be a person who is supposed to do this. But then I went down further. Because they hide it from you. Usually they put it at the top, but when they don't want to hide it from you, they put it somewhere else. But I went and looked the definition of person up, and a person is defined as an individual, a fiduciary, a trust, a uh, limited liability company, corporation, and shall include any municipal subdivision of the state, which nobody has picked up on that. I've said it a thousand times. But somebody should have picked up on the fact that it says shall include any municipal subdivisions of the state. So any municipal subdivision of the state is a taxpayer. So if they're a taxpayer, how the hell can they sit there and alien anything that you have and you're a non-taxpayer? Which, by the way, I didn't even know that word existed until I found it in case law when I started looking it up. And the court said a non-taxpayer is not subject to the tax code because only taxpayers are subject to the tax code. Now, of course, I went to court, and the district attorney said to go, Your Honor, Your Honor, Your Honor, he's failing to mention the fact that it says individual. And I said, hold on, hold on, because I went and read further, and I looked up the word individual, because I would have thought, oh, individual means me, because there's lots of cases, that, like even in Hale versus Hinkle, they use the word individual. But in there, it's not defined, so it means the normal when you read under uh, American jurisprudence, it'll tell you that the normal definition, unless it is defined. Well, guess what? If you read down in section 8, which is H, which is what I told, uh, which, which I, I, I said in open court, I said, well, that's okay. Let's go down to section H, which clearly states that an individual is defined as a natural person, and a person is defined as a fiduciary limited liability company corporation shall include any municipal subdivision of the state. I'm none of those things. Therefore, I'm not a person. If I'm not a person, I can't be a taxpayer. Okay? So if I'm not a taxpayer, then guess what? As it says in the case that I found, it says that the non-taxpayer may stand upon its constitutional rights and protections thereof and ownership of property. Okay? I mean, it's really, when you finally get this and you put the pieces together, they fit together so nicely, you begin to see, uh, you begin to see that it all fits together nicely. 
okay? Um, uh, you're all tech. No, where's evidence on the taxpayer? There you go. The law to, under the public policy, all people are taxpayers. No, I just showed you how that's not true. See, um, well, the fact is that they gave the money back to the guy that bought the, the uh, counterfeit piece of paper. I would say that's pretty good evidence, wouldn't you? Okay, and I haven't even gone after them yet. All I did was put an injunction in place, and 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 it, it's never been you know it's never been denied, so it's still in place. Okay, so it's very interesting. Uh, and of course, I'm building my case. Um, G9, do you have a bank account? No. And after you've been here, okay, no, you are a taxpayer too. No, you're not. Uh, if you want to be a taxpayer, dude, go right ahead. It doesn't mean you don't pay taxes. So you tell me you don't pay the taxes. And, if, and what I said in court was very clear. I said, oh, I don't have to pay any taxes as long as they're lawful taxes and I'm shown by what law I'm required to pay them. But I'm not paying any taxes that I'm not required to pay. Okay? And first, you have to show that, I'm, that I am a person as defined under the tax code so that the tax code will apply to me because that was the first thing that the attorneys did was the district attorney sits there and goes, Your Honor, he could have challenged the amount that was on the arena. I said, No, because that section of your challenge has to do with the tax code. The tax code does not apply to me because I'm not a taxpayer. And that was only one of the things I had. I also had all the other things because I had read them. All right? And the other thing was, um, was I said, Well, show me the citizen. And the judge goes, What? What's that? I said, Citizen. How do you spell it? S I T U L. Fight it. And when you, when you do read the citizens, okay, it says clearly in the statute, it says that property taxes shall be applied only in accordance with a citizen, the, excuse me, applicable citizen or citus. And he went and looked it up under Wikipedia. How idiotic can you be? And I held up the American jurisprudence, which I copied and pasted out and put on a sheet. And I said, I happen to have American jurisprudence right here. And went through the whole definition. That's when. I'm answering your question still as to how do we do it right. You do it right by simply reading the law and applying it properly. And once you know what the law says, you'll see so clearly how they're misapplying it. It does not mean that you will win in the lower courts. Forget about it. You are not going to win in the lower courts. You are not there to win. You are in the lower courts so that you can gather evidence of their criminal activity so you can make millions of dollars later on so that you can bring your 42-1983 deprivation of rights suits. That's the only reason you're in the lower courts, allowing them to play their stupid little game in order to gather your evidence for your case. And they will give you all of the evidence that you need. You need to do a few things as well, such as making public information requests with statute law, properly enacted statute law, uh, are you relying upon in order to assess private uh, non-commercial use property? Show me. And I recommend you go in your state and read the the citizens, and you will begin. That's when it finally got me. That's what snapped my programming, because I kept looking over my shoulder, and I was really scared to say this stuff. Okay, I was just like mealy mouthed about it. You know, even though I speak strong, uh, but I was still feeling inside, scared shitless that something was going to whack me in the back of the head, that the district attorney was going to come up with something that was going to, you know, uh, that I wasn't going to be able to handle. But because I had done my homework, every time the district attorney brought something up, I had some way of slamming him. 
and he couldn't recover. He finally ended up acting like a three-year-old kid. Going, well, Your Honor, he's refusing to pay the taxes. And I said, I'm not refusing to pay any taxes at all. All I'm asking is to show me the law, the properly enacted statute law that requires me to pay a tax on non-commercial use private property. Show me the sentence. Where's it at? Now, when you go read the sentences or cituses, however you want to put it, you will see why it makes perfect sense and why the law is perfect the way it's written. Okay? And, and, and I was very resistant to say that. I, I don't like it, and I've explained to you why, because I believe that, that, that it is the obligation of the, uh, of the, um, um, uh, the um, legislature to ensure that there is not misunderstanding. That's my opinion. Okay, and that's why that's going to be my next stop when I get done here. Is like, let's go to the legislature and say, why are you writing things in such a way? Even though it may be perfect, and they, even though it may be perfectly accurate, it is not causing or e effecting. Remember, that's what the unanimous Declaration of Independence says. And organizing its powers in such manner as to them seems most likely to effect, which means to cause it to happen to effect their safety and happiness. And that's not happening. And that's where I stand on that as to why we need to go after the legislature. It's not that the law is not perfect the way it's written. The problem is, is that nobody's reading it and interpreting it the way it's supposed to be because it's too easily misinterpreted. Because most people, if you ask them, well, are you a person? You're not a person. But if I ask them specifically, are you a person as defined in the tax code? Well, yes. I said, well, have you ever read the tax code? No. Then how the hell are you supposed to know? So you need to read it and have it very clear. So you're gathering your evidence in order to get to the federal. If you're, and here's the rule of thumb that you remember, is that if you're in state court or you have a problem with the state, you want to go to federal court. And if you're dealing with the feds, you want to find something in the state in which you're at and bring the feds to the state court because they don't like each other and they don't have a good old boy network with each other. So you have to use, that's part of your strategies. Ouch, ouch, ouch. Oh, gosh. Uh, let me see what else is up here right now. Okay, now, remember here when you, I'm noticing something here about money, defined money, defined dollar. Notice that what I just read in the Constitution, no state shall, shall make anything but gold and silver coin. Listen to the rest of it. A tender in payment of debt. Okay? Now, we can go into a wonderful analyzed debt, excuse me, payments of debt, payment of debt. Let me read it again. Make anything but gold and silver coin a tender in payment of debt. Okay? So the question you have to ask yourself is if we don't, there's two ways to look at this. If we don't have any gold or silver coin, then are we paying any debt? That's the number one question that I asked. Then I got to thinking about it. I was like, well, hold on a minute. If every debt that I have is in obligation of the United States, I don't need to pay it in gold or silver coin, do I? And that's where I believe that it all comes down to the Federal Reserve notes is basically like uh, the best way I can explain is I went to camp, Boy Scout camp. And of course, when you went to Boy Scout camp, your parents might give you 10, 20, 50, 100, $200 uh, for what we call the gee dunk, where you went and got your candy, you know, and, 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 and toothpaste, toothbrush, and stuff like that. And 
instead of having the kids have cash money, um, fed, it, you know, they didn't know it was Federal Reserve notes at the time, but just, we just call it cash uh, at the time. So because if it got stolen, then you're screwed. So what they did is they would, quote, unquote, conscript it, which meant you gave them all of your money, and then you had a credit at the, at the GDUNK where you could get anything you want. It would be deducted from your account. And it was, ironically enough, your signature that deducted it from the account. Okay, you paying attention? So let's go, if you want to go along with that, um, and as we know, every time you sign something, that they, they monetize that signature every single time, okay? Because you are a creditor. You always have been a creditor. Again, everything was given to us. It was endowed to us, including our rights, but we own everything already, including the government. Just nobody wants to recognize that. And the other side of that is nobody wants to recognize our parents and our grandparents fail to recognize that we are the responsible parties. Not only are we the owners, but we are also the managers. And they didn't do their job. They did not manage the government properly. They didn't make sure that their public servants were doing things properly. They didn't hold them accountable. And quite frankly, I'll bet you dime to a dollar, 99% of you haven't gone to court and haven't studied and haven't taken any federal charges or 14, uh, a 42-1983 uh, claim against any of them. And I'll bet not many of you have actually fought in court and gone to a trial by jury. And I'll bet very few of you have made any, any actual charges against them. So you really can't point the finger and go, oh, we're slaves, we're slaves, we're slaves, and there's nothing you can do about it. Well, if you're not doing something about it, what is your part of the problem? If you're not part of the solution, you are the problem. What? You cannot. Okay, yeah, that's the flip side, uh, guess 12. You cannot be made to pay a tax that you do not owe. That's correct. To extort money property from an individual is a crime, 18 U.S.C. 242. Exactamundo. Thank you. And see, this is the beauty is that these are in there and they are crimes. But how many of us prosecute them in a civil case? And the way I, the way I phrase it, the way I, this is how I frame it. If I can prove to the jury that these people engaged in an act that is already filed and written down as a criminal act, then I don't need to prove, because the burden of proof on a civil case is much less than a criminal case, I don't need to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt like in a criminal case. I just need to prove it by the preponderance of the evidence. But if I can and I do prove that they have engaged in activity, which is clearly unlawful and written down as unlawful, then I naturally have, have fulfilled my task to, to show that by the preponderance of the evidence that they have, in fact, engaged in an act that caused me an injury. You see how that works? Very simple. That's why I love the law. That's why I love the statutes. why I shifted. Instead of going wah, 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 wah and trying to make new law, we just use what's already written. We use what's already there to bind them. And we show how they're acting outside of their authority, outside of what they're authorized to do, and in fact engaged in criminal act. Now, it's up to them. It's their obligation, unless you want to become a private attorney general, or in those states, if you check it out, uh, if you uh, uh, file the complaint, I believe it's for the state's attorney, and he fails to do anything about it. I think it's after nine, six months, nine months. It depends upon what state you're in. You then have the power to actually prosecute it. But 
the chances of you, you will you'll be even probably be lucky if you get paid. That's because you're not considered an attorney. Uh, you might not get attorney fees, um, but you can get um, you can get usually reimbursed for it, and sometimes you get the penalty damages. But if you bring a civil action, then of course you can get the penalty damages. Uh, as well as uh, rec- recompensation for, for whatever damages they did. Um, uh, let's see, though, they're trying to find, uh, pull the trigger, be my ear. Okay, you can't, okay. Um, so I hopefully that helps people a little bit. Um, and I read last week, if you listen to the end of the show, you'll hear all sorts of wonderful case law that's, that really when you realize when you start reading the years that they were written, these, you know, this stuff has been going on for a long time. You know, I've said this many times, and I'll say it again. Um, evil is as evil does, okay? And evil is just simply live backwards, okay? So you have to understand that, that uh, cr- criminals do, and we've always had criminals, uh, and there probably always will be criminals, um, people who just cannot. I mean, I know guys, when I worked in D.C., and I would hire guys. I always commented to them. I said, do you realize that you guys work three times harder to get out of work than it would for you just to do the day of work in the first place? And this is true. If you think about the amount of effort and the amount of energy that people have put into trying to dis- discover all the excuses as to how they're getting away with this crap, instead of just simply reading the statutes and the laws and learning what the laws and case law and and learning how to write a case and bring it to, to to fruition that will get you a lot further than sitting there yapping in court and i've done it i mean i like i say i spent three and a half four years of my life studying all of the stuff that just ended up not getting anybody anywhere and i even stood in court and sat there and did the flag business how stupid can i be even though i researched as much as i could at the time you know, I believe what, um, what's his name, Rod Klaas had said, oh, under this law statute, this is the, the war, this war, I forget what, it, he had it all down pat, that, that a gold fringe meant admiralty and all this, you know what, I went and researched that myself, finally, instead of reading everybody else's stuff, I read pages and pages and website after website, and guess what, when I finally went and read the statute law myself, guess what I found out, it's considered to be decorative, and used usually for special events. Aren't we so special? So that's my comment now. But I went into court. This is why I share this stuff with you. My stories are not just my stories, but it's a way for you guys not to make the same mistakes that I've made. That's why we learn from other people's mistakes. I go into court. I just tell my quick story real quick. I go into court after this whole thing with admiralty because I wasn't, I'm not scared of admiralty law. I like admiralty law. I mean, and, and I did a show one time where I explained why we have admiralty law, what was necessary when you're at sea. And I had a few comments and I remember one gentleman saying that he was very thankful that I explained it to him. And he now no longer thought his admiralty law is some evil thing because it clearly makes sense when you're at sea. Somebody has to be the captain of the ship. Somebody has to be responsible. Somebody has to be uh, uh, and, and, and that's what the whole bounty was all about, the mutiny on the bounty thing. When you read that book, it, it gives you a lot of explanation. Now, I've been in the Navy, and I was a merchant marine, 
And I was raised on a sailboat traveling around the world. And I understand what it means to be, uh, to, to have some kind of laws at sea. Okay. It's the way it is there. But anyway, I go into court. I see the gold fringe. And of course I ping off of that. Cause I didn't have much else to say. Really. I didn't know what the hell I was doing in there. Instead of studying the law and, 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 and statutes like I should have, I would have made short work of it. But instead, I went and studied what Rod Class and some other people had said about, oh, the gold fringe on the flag means you're under admiralty law. Well, I had won 12 out of 13 cases under admiralty law at captain's mass. And people don't know what captain's mass is, where the captain is the judge and jury. But the captain is still subject to the Uniform Code of Military Justice. And I read and studied the Uniform Code of Military Justice, and I was hated because I knew it. And that's how I won 12 out of 13 cases at Captain's Mass. You talk to anyone who's ever been to Captain's Mass, and they'll tell you it's pretty much like the courts are today. But uh, at, at that time, courts were considered reason, you know, honorable in comparison uh, uh, to, to what they are today. But Captain's Mass is very similar. Even then, the captain was subject to the Uniform Code of Military Justice, so I could quote it to him. So anyway, I go into this court, big, huge room, you know, the whole stage setting, you know, like 15 floors high ceilings and big, huge, uh, you know, bench there that the judge is sitting up really high. I mean, the whole, I mean, the environment thing is just absolutely ridiculous. And I go in there and I'm feeling real bold. And I sat there and I said, oh, I see you're flying a flag of admiralty. And I looked outside the windows on my tippy toes, and I said, I don't see any water out there. And I wiggled my body back and forth as if I was on the boat. And I said, I don't feel the ship moving beneath me. And I said, right to him, looked him dead in the eyes, and said, you don't look like a captain to me. Now, of course, he did what I didn't know at the time. I hadn't done any studying and any experiences. He, of course, did the, uh, uh, the assumption that I did not know where I was at because I basically said, I don't know where I'm at because, you know, you're flying a black man with you. You know, it appears that I'm on a ship, but I don't believe you're, I'm on a ship and you don't like, look like a captain. That was really all I had to go. Now, what I did do, which was very useful, I mean, not that mistakes are not useful if you learn from them. The only mistake is one that you don't learn from. That's a mistake, okay? So um, I had just been studying a little bit of what Jack and Margie had put out, and they had done the three questions. That's all they had done, which was, the position you hold requires you to swear an oath of office. Is that correct? And I got that phrasing from them, directly from them. I stole it from them while they, they gave it to me. The second question, the posi that position requires you to swear an oath of office. Is that correct? That oath of office is to support the Constitution for the United States of America. Is that correct? Yes. I accept your oath of office. Now, that was as far as I had gotten with that. But when I went in there, I was led to believe that if I went in there and challenged the admiralty law, um, that, that it was inapplicable, that I would be walking out of there without a problem. Well, of course, it barely even batted an eyelid. And all it did was then sent me to evaluation or set up an appointment to evaluate me to see if I was capable of standing trial because apparently I didn't know where I was. So I kind of he used an advantage, uh, used my stupidity to, my, to his advantage, um, and, of course, that was a bit of a miracle because I missed the appointment. And by that time, I had started reading a little bit. And when I missed the appointment, I told him that I considered to be the fact that I missed because I intended to come, but I had somehow uh, got the wrong date. And I took that as a sign from my creator, from God. I used the word God at that time, 
that I was not supposed to go there. And then I explained to her why. I said, do you work for the state? She said, yes. I said, and so you're telling me, and, and, and the state is charging me. Is that correct? She goes, yes. And the judge works for the state. He's paid by the state. Yes. I said, well, isn't that a bit like the sheep going into the barn with all the wolves and, and the wolves deciding how edible I am? And she said, well, I'll, I'll relay that message to the judge. I said, you relay it to him exactly as I said it. The next thing I know, I get in the mail, null pros, which means they're not going to prosecute. So I, I obviously did something, and it certainly wasn't telling the judge that you don't look like a captain to me. Um, I don't know why, but it made it made it maybe I don't know for whatever reason. I can't say. I really can't say. I can only uh, have, uh, you know conjecture on it. But I learned from it. That's where the ten questions came from. The position that you hold requires again. To let them make the commitment. That's where the idea came from. Let them, who are you? Well, I'm Secret Service agent, so I'm police officer so-and-so, I'm sheriff so-and-so, I'm judge so-and-so. Really? Now you've got them to make a claim. And you know where that came from was page after page after page. Oh, my God. I wrote feverishly. I was kind of, it was a preemptive to the UCC stuff of trying to go through and make all these claims and then substantiate my claims, which I can never prove. I can only claim them, but I couldn't prove them. Now, I can prove my claim to the protections, the equal protections of the law. It's right there in the Constitution. It's right there in Hale versus Hinkle. I can show those things. That's why I like the law. That's how you win is by studying the law. And in particular case law, Supreme Court case is the best. If you have state law, superior court state law, that works too. But again, you're not going to win in the lower courts. Forget about it. Forget about it. Forget about it. You are not there to win. You will not win. I'm telling you, you will lose if you want to call it losing. But it's not really losing if you get the evidence that you need. And that's what you're there for. You're not there to have it dismissed because they're not going to dismiss it. They're there to make money. It's not going to be dismissed. That judge is not going to listen to you. He is going to deny every motion you say. Make sure that you object to his denial so that you preserve it for, for the next case and you also create the record. Like I said, when, when, the, when they did the uh, failure to have a life jacket on a little blow-up raft that I had, uh, and I was denied, which I was looking right out there, and I read it out of the Maryland statutes that I have the right to um, impeach is the word that they use. Let me find it real quick, and I'll read it to you. It's called impeaching the witness. If I can find it, trial jury discovery. Uh, where are you? Where are you? Teaching witness. Bifurcated. I'm going to take that as a sign. Hold on one second. I just found what I was looking for. I wanted to bifurcate these, and I just found it. Yeah, to find it again. Okay. Um, criminal causes. See where that one takes me. Ah, here it is. Impeachment. It's interesting. Five dash uh, rule five dash six one six. Impeaching and rehabilitation generally. A impeachment by inquiry of the witness. The credibility of a witness may be attacked through questions asked of the witness, including questions that are directed at, one, 
proving under Rule 5-613 that the witness has made statements that are inconsistent with the witness's present testimony. Two, proving that the facts are not as testified to by the witness. Three, proving that, for instance, if he's sitting there saying that I uh, abandoned a vessel, then I have every right to clearly define the definition of abandonment and vessel. Three, proving that an opinion expressed by the witness is not held by the witness or is otherwise not worthy of belief. Four, so that's why I have the right to impeach him as to his knowledge. Now, I made a note up here because this is out of a court case. When officers are called as witnesses, they are presumed to be experts. Thus, their knowledge of subject matter is subject to scrutiny. Four, proving that the witness is biased, prejudiced, interested in the outcome of the proceedings, or has a motive to testify falsely. Are you getting paid by the state? Yes. Are you getting paid to be here? Yes. If the state wins, will the state get money from me? Yes. So let me see. I'm paying the state. You're getting paid by the state. Don't you think that creates... A, a, a reasonable uh, uh, expression of bias, prejudice, or interest in the outcome of the proceeding or has a motive to testify falsely? Absolutely. Number five, proving lack of personal knowledge or weakness in the capacity of the witness to perceive, remember, or communicate. Now, clearly, if he does not know the definition of vessel or the definition of abandon, then clearly he cannot testify properly and he can't bring charges, criminal charges, to something that he has no knowledge of. And six, proving the character of the witness for untruthfulness. Well, he may not knowingly be saying or doing something untruthful, but there he clearly, if he doesn't know what the law is, what the hell business does he have of charging somebody with it? So he has an obligation to fulfill his obligation to, uh, uh, to fulfill his duty, his office of duty. And one of them is to know the, the laws. Well, Again, that's why I have the right to ask him the 10 questions and go after him and say, hey, if you don't know that which you sworn an oath to, then how the hell can you possibly hold a position that requires you to swear that oath and know what it says and abide by it? And I go back to the Constitution, Article 6, the senators and representatives before mentioned, as well as the members of the several state legislature and all executive and judicial officers – both of the United States and the several states shall be bound by oath or affirmation to support this Constitution. Clearly, he cannot support it if he doesn't know what it says. And that's exactly what's going on here. If he knew what it said, he wouldn't be doing what he's doing. And if he knew the law, he wouldn't be doing what he's doing. And it goes on. So here, I can find the exact rule right here in Maryland where it talks about impeachment. I have every right to impeach that witness. And considering he's supposed to be an expert, I have the right to impeach his knowledge or his alleged knowledge as to the subject matter. So when I asked the other idiot up there on the, on the other, uh, which was a not criminal charge that day, I asked him if, uh, what the definition of vessel was because he called first my little blow-up laugh. First he called it a dinghy, and then he called it a flotation, and then he called it a vessel. And I asked him if he knew the definition of vessel. Oh, he didn't know that. And the, uh, the district attorney jumps up and goes, objection, immaterial. I'm like, excuse me? And I read it. I read it. What I just read to you. I said, no, no, you know, here, it's, it's, I have the right to impeach the witness. Well, I'm, I'm sustaining the objection. It's not, ir, ir, it's not um, um, 
uh, irrelevant. It's most, it is extremely relevant. And really got upset when I said, uh, when I asked him, I said, would you be surprised to know that the South River under the National um, our, uh, National Registry says clearly that it is a non-navigable water. No objection! It's too late. I already got it out, dumbass. It is. It's listed in there as a non-navigable waters. Why is that important? It's non-navigable. Guess what? None of their commercial laws apply. <laughs> they only apply <laughs> to navigable waters for vessels that are engaged in, guess what, transportation across water of product or person. Hello. So this is how, uh, let me see what we're reading here. Uh, and then we said, oh, was a member of the KKK, goofus, oh, we're under the goofus name calling stuff. Okay. Where's the law that says you make checks using fed routing numbers? I can't find it. Sure wouldn't make it easier. You see 3-603 and 104-ply. No battle about that. Um, by the way, I've done my whole little rant for those people who've not heard it, that, uh, for the people concerned about um, um, deeds of trust and notes. I've uh, gone over this a few times. Go and look at your note. You will find that the note is a conditional instrument, not an unconditional instrument. When you look at UCC3, you will see at the very beginning that it's defined as that which applies to unconditional instruments. Okay? Now go look at your note. It says in return for a loan I have received. That's a condition, a proceeding condition. Now, you could say that the note is a receipt and that that condition was fulfilled and by you signing it, you were acknowledging that you received the loan. That's the problem. So you can either send the signature or you can claim that you can then sit there and say, you know, you didn't give me it. That's why you go to what lies in your debt. You'll find that the first thing he teaches you is a debt dispute letter or a debt validation letter. Prove to me that you loaned me anything because you didn't. Okay, and that's one of the first things you need to do. Um, and, and, and I find this to be very true because in court cases that I've read, the ones that the people stop making payments early on tend to win the cases much more often. Not all that often, but more often, considerably more often than those that have made payments for you know a year, two years, six years or more. Very difficult, particularly since they never challenge the validity of the debt. Right? So that's like step number one. Build your foundation. I'm challenging the debt. I never received a loan prior to me giving you the note. Now, this, if you can't get your head wrapped around, it's a very simple thing. If I give you a check for $100 and you give me a $100 bill, was there a loan? No, there was not. It was an exchange. It's that simple. I gave you a piece of paper. You gave me a piece of paper in exchange. And I don't know if I told you or not, but I actually did this to a vice president of a banker one time, a, a vice president of a bank. First on the phone, I sat there and I said, well, what did you give me in exchange for my note? Notice that I stated it in that proper fashion. What did you give me in exchange for my note? I was verifying, validating, and authenticating the fact through her that I gave them the note first. What did you give me in exchange? Notice I also use the word exchange, and exchange is not a loan. She didn't even catch it. I said, what did you give me in exchange for the, for the note? Oh, he gave you the title to the house. I said, no, you didn't. Yes, we did. No, we didn't. Yes, we didn't. I said, okay, hold on a minute. Did you ever own the house? No. Well, then how the hell did you ever give me something that you didn't already own? Click, hung up. Now, the next time I went into her office with somebody who was at that time, I wanted to just go ahead and get it off 
and have a buyer come in and buy it. And the guy was willing to give it a full amount, listen to him, da 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 da. And she wouldn't abide by it. I said, you know, I've really bent over backwards considering you didn't loan me. And yes, we did, no, we didn't. I said, okay, hold on a minute. Let's look at the way you're, you're taking it, okay? I'm going to even use your bullshit against you. Watch this. You ready? You say that I gave you a debt note, that the note I gave you was a debt note. Is that correct? Is that what you're saying? She goes, yes. I said, now, what did I get in exchange? I got a certified banker's note. She goes, yes. I said, when I came to the bank and I cashed that certified banker's note, I got these, and I pulled out my wallet, and I showed her a bunch of Federal Reserve notes. And she said, yes. I said, now, what does it say at the top here? It says Federal Reserve note. So it's a note just like mine, right? She goes, yes. And I said, now, who's signed? It's under the United States. She goes, yes. I said, now, the United States is trillions of dollars in debt. Is that correct? Yes. I said, okay, let me get this straight now. I gave you a debt note, and in exchange, you gave me debt notes in return. Where was the loan? And all she could do was try to burn holes through me with her eyes while her bottom lip was shivering. She was pissed. She was mad. There was no place for her to go. It's all in the setup. See, it's all in the setup. You can't go for the throat right away. You have to do the setup. Get them to, to commit themselves. The position you hold requires you to swear in office. Is that correct? Yes. That oath of office is to support the Constitution. Is that correct? Yes. Now I've got two commitments out of them. They claim to be in three. They claim to be an officer holding a position. I've already got them to, to provide and, and confirm that that office requires that I confirm that they have actually sworn an oath and that that oath is to support the Constitution of the United States. And then I do the, 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 the final thing. I do, I do the next thing, which you, everyone seems to miss. The third question is, I accept that oath of office. Is that acceptable to you? And I got that. The first three questions, but I changed the third questions instead of saying, I accept your oath of office. That judge, when I said that to him, he said, thank you. And my head went ding, 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 ding. And the reason my head went ding, ding, ding was because when I took contract law, I knew that it was offer, acceptance, acknowledgement. I accepted, the, the offer was, was presumed. I accepted his offer when I said, I accept your oath of office. And he acknowledged it by saying, thank you. That's where the third question comes from that says, I accept your oath of office. Is that acceptable to you? So when he says yes, I now have a private contract with him, don't I? I have a private contract with him. I've accepted his oath of office, which means I am now have the right to rely upon his knowledge of the Constitution. And if he doesn't know the Constitution, did he not just enter into a contract under fraudulent conditions with me? Yes, he did. That's why I then want to tie the loose ends up a little bit. I said, have you been paid on time for your services and your oath of office? Yes. Is there anything owed to you for your services or your oath of office? No. Do I personally owe you anything for your services or your oath of office? No. So now I have him under private contract, as well as indicating that he is, he, he is the, the fulfillment of his obligation as a public uh, office holder, an acknowledgement that he is 
here to support the Constitution. You cannot support something if you don't know what it says. And that's where the next four questions are as well. Since you've, since you've uh, stated that you uh, have sworn an oath to support the Constitution, and, that, and, and the Constitution is, would you please tell me, uh, the 13th Article, 13th Bill of Rights, I'd like to play games with that, 13th Amendment. They don't know it, and because I do. And then I quote it to them. Now, how many people out there know the 13th? Anybody? Major and anybody? Can you say it real fast? It's so short and so simple, everyone should know it. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude shall exist. The United States is subject to its... Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for a crime wherefore he has been duly convicted, shall exist in the United States or territory subject to its jurisdiction. Well, since I have not been convicted of any crime, I just cut that part out and I go... Uh, uh, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude shall exist in the United States or territory subject to its jurisdiction. And then what about the 14th? Anybody know the 14th? And I don't know the very first line, the citizen part, but I say the next part I love, the second paragraph, or is it the second sentence? No state shall make or enforce any law that abridges the privileges or immunities of the citizens of the United States. So if you're a citizen of the United States, and according to Hale versus Hinkle, you have dual citizenship. You're a citizen of the United States and a citizen of the state in which you reside. So why would you not want the protections? Why would you, why would you want to throw that away? It makes no sense to me. And that's why I never jumped on that bandwagon. No state shall make or enforce any law that abridges the privileges or immunities of the citizens of the United States. Nor shall, any per, nor shall any state deprive any person. So clearly a person is considered, quote-unquote, less than a citizen because a citizen has his privileges and immunities protected. Whereas a person, no, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. Due process does not just mean, uh, you know, we're going to just run you through the, through the mill in the courthouse. It means due process. Do the do, doing the do, which means the whole damn thing. If you don't put oil in, in, in your engine, you only put gasoline in there and start it up, you're going to burn up your engine. You can't do a part of it. You can't turn the oven on and never put the cake in, in the oven. And you can't put an empty pan in the oven and expect to have a cake. And that's what these idiots are doing. But you guys don't, I would say all of you, but most people out there don't know the difference. They see a judge and they think, oh, they see an attorney going, a district attorney going, blah, blah, blah. And they think, oh, he's the man. He must be right. And I'm screwed. And it's not until, you know, months later you start figuring out these guys are a bunch of crooks. And it's not the law that burns you. It's a misapplication of the law. So, and then I ask them that one. They don't know it. Well, then I give them a real easy one. How about the fifth? Come on, everyone knows the fifth. And, and the reason is I want them to try. Because what they're going to do is, oh, that's the one that you have the right to remain silent. I go, see? That's why you need to know what it says. Of course you have the right to remain silent. It doesn't say anything about that. What it does say is that you may not be compelled. As far as I'm concerned, that's as far as it needs to go. You may not be compelled to give evidence that may be used against you in a court of law in a criminal case. Now, Hale versus Hinkle goes into it even more definitively. He says he owes no duty to the state since he receives nothing therefrom but his protections of his rights and his property, his, his life and his property, excuse me. 
So here we have where your property is supposed to be protected again. If your property is supposed to be protected, how the hell are they taking it under, under some sort of a t- fraudulent counterfeit tax deed, which they just create out of thin air? They don't have a lien. They've never perfected the lien. They never even put a lien. I asked the judge, I said, where's the lien? Uh, well, they don't have to have one. Well, yes, they do. And I found a case law on that. Now, again, somebody asking me, I said, that's why you need to read the case law too. Because I read case law on it. It said if a somebody in a mechanic's lien, $100, has to go through the whole process, due process of law, in order to sue for a measles, $200, what more process for protections of property must be gone through? before property can be taken. It's a court saying that. They can't argue with it. They just sit there and look at you stupid and then do what they were going to do anyway and completely ignore it. Check. All you have to do is object and, you know, make it, make your case. You know that they're going to not listen to you. You know that you're not there to have them listen to you. You are there to notice them. That's the only reason you're there. You're there noticing them on the of the law, which they're supposed to know in the first place. But what I've learned in the court is that you have to present the law. That's one thing I did not know. I used to believe that, oh, they're supposed to know it. They don't know it. And if you don't raise it, if you don't raise it as an objection or judicial notice or something to that effect, then according to them, you've waived your right. Why you want to do your affirmative defenses and so on, because if you don't do them, then you waive your right to do them. Of course, he didn't mention that in the letter, did he? He was talking about the witnesses. In this letter I just read you at the top of the hour, the reason I read that to you is because he's out here fishing to find out if I have any witnesses. Who the hell do you think he's working for? He's pretending like, oh, we need to know who your witnesses are so you won't be rejected. No, we want to find out what you have that you're going to be able to use against us. He never said anything about them and their information and their witnesses and, or anything. So he's clearly not fighting for me. So I'm fully aware of it. Doesn't mean I'm not going to play with him anyway. I'm going to try to force him into the, into the, into the, into the corner that says, you are not representing me, you are not assigned by me, although you may be assigned to be my counselor, because that's what it says in the Constitution, is that you have the right to counsel, not for somebody to speak for me or represent me. Did somebody want to say something? All right, what is this here? Take uh, Somebody said the hard questions. I'm here to ask the tough questions. All right, what are the tough questions there, number nine? Let me see. Do that at the SSA office, and you'll be asked to leave. Do what? Does the telecheck have to make a legal determination regarding a check with someone that is not them? Understand is the citizen not the man? Do citizens try and get someone to define citizen? I can answer if I'm not a citizen. If I'm not, I don't know. That is, I presume, nothing. Good. Well, that's always a good start. Presume nothing. Um, guess number eight. Check 26 CFR 31.3306 and Title 26, Section 3121E. Tell us a little bit about what it is, not just to check it out. I don't have the it in front of me. 
uh, and I take no orders from paper. You don't have to guess number 90. It's not about taking orders from paper. Uh, what you're doing is you have to understand that this paper is utilized to govern them. These are the bounds that they are required to play. You know, everyone talks about their sandbox. The sandbox, they cannot play outside of the sandbox. They must play as required and stay within the bounds. That's why it says the judges in every state shall be bound thereby. That is true with every single officer as well. They're all public trustees. That's why I read Hale versus Hinkle to you a hundred times. Because Hale versus Hinkle clearly lays out, says they shall hold their corporate their offices and, and their corporate charter as long as they stay within those bounds. And guess what? Every one of these municipal subdivisions are taxpayers, which means they're corporations. Every one of these courts, almost every one of these courts, are corporations. Look them up under Dun and Bradstreet, and we love to we love to gently mention that in our pleas. We don't make a big deal about it. We just simply state it as a fact that the, that the such and such and so and so municipal subdivision. Uh, incorporated municipal subdivision, and if you can give like a tax ID number or something to that effect, or you give the uh, the EIN number or the um, Brad Dun the Dun Bradstreet number, and all you're doing is you're letting them, letting them know that you know that they have a corporate charter. Why is that important? Because they are not sovereign. A corporation is not sovereign. They are handing it to us on a silver platter. They're liable for everything that they do, just like any other corporation. They don't have sovereign immunity because they are not de jure state. Everyone's like, oh, they're not de jure state, they're de facto. Well, great. That's fantastic because they don't have sovereign immunity. And in one of these days, I want to attack the fact that the state cannot delegate its powers or authority to to something else unless they were granted that power to do so. And there is nothing in any constitution I've ever seen that says that the state can can authorize a private corporation or other entity to engage in policing of the people. They don't have that power themselves. How can they delegate it to anything else? This is what you've got to understand. This is the details that we're talking about when you read the statutes and law, particularly when you read the citizens. I'm telling you, it's the best investment of time. At least it was for me. Page after page after page of citizens is boring. It's drone. A company engaged in the flight of, of airplanes at more than da da da, and so many passengers and so many feet long runway data, blah, blah 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 shall be blah 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 citizen so and such and such. It was a citizen for airports. Anyone engaged in telecommunications and then engagement of towers and blah 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 shall pay well be charged at such and such a rate. And you go after, you keep reading it. And it will engage in a manufacturing process. Oh, my God, there's like 30 of those different types of manufacturing processes. But after you read several pages of them, you begin to see a pattern. Oh, my God, this is what woke me up. Oh, my God, all of these activities have to do with a commercial activity, a for-profit requiring a license. I'm not doing that. It doesn't apply to me. There is no citizen. There can't be. There could not be. No state shall make or enforce any law that abridges the privilege of the United States. Nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, property without due process of law. 
If there is no law that subjugates the people, and if there was, it would be unconstitutional. Because the only reason that the Constitution exists, the only reason the United States exists, the only reason the government exists, whether it's the Articles of Confederation, the Constitution, or something else, or whatever may come in the future, it does not matter. This is what nobody seems to get. I don't know why you guys can't get this. It all comes under the trust, the public trust known as the unanimous. No dissent. Unanimous. The Hatfields, the McCoys, the Blacks, the Whites, the Chicanos, everybody. Everybody. The white feminists, the gays, the non-gays, the, the animal lovers, the tree huggers, everybody can agree on one thing. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. They're not men in the sense of gender either, all men. That's why I know spirit was involved here is because before we even had equality, it was already on paper at a public trust. And endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. They didn't even use the word God because they were trying to maintain not a religion. Which is why at the end of that, uh, senators and representatives before mentioned, as well as the members of the separate state legislature, both executive and judicial officers, both the United States and the several states shall be bound by oath or affirmation to support the Constitution. And the ending of that says, but no religious test shall ever be required for an office of public trust or profit. And that tells you right there, public trust or profit. What are they saying? Either you're in the public office or you're holding a position of profit, which has to do with what? A corporation, which is licensed by the state. You see how perfect it is once you start putting the pieces together. But if you only read a few little things and try to create, and this is what these people do. They read a couple lines and they think they have the magic formula. And they take it out of context and then they sit there and wrap all this crap around it. Well, they should have taken more time to read more stuff. And you can find all the pieces to this puzzle. And when you find all the pieces to the puzzle, you go, oh. And that's when you begin to realize and see very quickly, these guys do not know how to paint. I know how to paint. Okay? I would consider myself an expert. Even though we all know X is past tense and spurt, well, you can figure that out for yourself. But that's my own little joke. But I would be considered a professional painter. Okay, I can paint indoors and outdoors and do a bang-up job. The stuff that I did 25 years ago is still there today and has not needed to be painted on the exterior because I do all of the caulking first. And I use a latex caulk and I make sure it's not going to rain. I learned that lesson. Let it thoroughly dry first. There's all sorts of reasons for that. And then I paint over that. And I used to use Duron paint, some of the best uh, paint out there. You can paint cars. That's great. I've only done one. What a pain in the ass that is. Came out all right, though. It's the sanding that gets me. The painting's not such a hard part. It's the daggone, um, it's the daggone sanding. Yeah. Oh, God, what a nightmare. But anyway, what, I, what, I, what I'm getting at is when I was hiring people to paint, because I know how to paint, I would say to the guys, okay, I, they couldn't be trusted. Well, have you ever paid? Oh, yeah, I paid a lot of stuff. Okay. They all lie, I found out. So all I did to solve the problem was say, here, here's a brush. For 
pretend that there's a line. I want you to cut a line right there. And most of the time, 50% of the guys, the, mo- the moment that they grabbed the brush from me, the way that they took the brush from me, because I handed it to them a certain way, the handle first, the way that they took it from me and the way they held it in their hand, I did not need them to go any further. I said, that's enough. Some of the other ones appeared that they may have held it meh, reasonably okay. And I said, pretend there's a line there and cut it. None of them knew how to wiggle. None of them knew how to cut a line. In fact, even professional painters, I had to retrain them. They clearly had painted. They had paint all over. They had been painting, and I, I know people they had painted with. But they still did not know how to paint. Because what they would do is they would dip it in the paint, and then they would wipe the brush off. I'm like, how stupid can you be? And they go like, who? I said, where is the paint? It's in the bucket. Where are you trying to get the paint? on the wall. So why are you putting it on the brush and then wiping it off the brush and then trying to go to the wall and paint the wall? Do you know I actually used to throw paint on the wall? We take a gallon bucket of paint. Most of it, I lived on a sailboat and I knew how to slosh water down a deck to wash it off. Don't try this at home if you don't know how to do it. But after years and years of experience of washing a deck as a kid, I knew how to throw a bucket of water or anything else so that it would land in a flat and stick everywhere it went and slide. But I would literally take a half gallon of paint and I would throw it up against the wall and take my sheepskin roller and just roll over it. And I'd get a wall done in about five minutes. A whole wall, done, fast. I didn't have to go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth from the, from the, from the roller pan to the, to the wall, from the roller pan to the wall, the roller pan to the wall, the roller pan to the wall. Ridiculous. I just threw the damn paint up there, and I used the sheepskin roller to pull off the excess. I always tell people, put it on and lift it off. Put it on, lift it off. I use the roller to lift it off. And then you get texture by simply letting it dry just a little bit and then gently rolling over it, and you can hear that. Sounds like uh, real light, um, you know, like the sticky stuff or, or like a Velcro, real quiet Velcro. It's almost what it sounds like. And I could hide all sorts of sins if you did that because you put texture. You see what I'm getting at? These are techniques no one taught me. I learned them on my own because I love to experiment with different things, play with different things. But my point is I could see within an instant that these people did not know how to paint. You can see in an instant that the judge does not know what the hell he's talking about. You can see in an instant that the prosecuting attorney does not know what the hell he's talking about if you know how to paint, if you know what the law says. And what does that mean? It means you have evidence of their collusion to deprive you of your equal protections of the law. And they are accountable because they hold an office that requires them to be sure to protect the rights of all parties, including the adversarial parties. You see how simple this is? And then learning how to file evidence, getting it into exhibits, and, um, and all the rest. That's, that's the details, and laying your plan out. Uh, painting sucks. I hate it. I actually love it, man. I, it's some, you know, I need to get a uh, I haven't been in that circle for a long time. <coughs> all right, 
any questions or any subjects? Now, somebody said that they had some serious questions or some hard questions. Give me some hard questions then, and I'll see if I can answer them. If anybody has any other questions or comments, uh, whether it has to do with property taxes, uh, so far as your taxes go, if it's, you know, IRS stuff, I, you know, I don't waste a lot of time with that because I just don't see that it's really, you know, again, what has it got to do with you? If you're not engaged in some commercial activity, it doesn't apply to you and you're not internal to the United States. It just doesn't make sense to me. If you get wages, you're getting wages. And we had a conversation the other night and I was thinking of a solution because somebody was mentioning, and that was with, um, um, uh, the general what was his name. Uh, gosh, I just lost it. And he was saying that if you get a bonus, that the bonus would be considered to be taxable because it was above and beyond what you contracted to do. Guess what? If you don't want your bonuses to be taxed, then you put into your original contract that you will get paid your wages and any bonuses that uh, any bonuses would be considered wages as well. Boom. Now you've taken care of that because now you've contracted for your bonuses, which means it's a wage, it's an exchange, it's a contract. Now think of it this way. If I contract you to do something and I'm going to pay you $200 to do it, you do it and I pay you $200. Was anybody else party to that contract? No. So if nobody else is part of their contract, why on earth would I take out any, any money and only give you $160 and give it to Fred over here? Fred doesn't have anything to do. Fred didn't pick up a paintbrush. Fred didn't do anything. What has Fred got to do with it? I don't even know Fred. You don't know Fred. I don't know Fred. And my favorite one, my favorite one, are you licensed to collect taxes? Huh? Are you licensed to collect taxes or are you engaged in an unlawful activity? You're engaged in activity you're not licensed to do. It's considered to be unlawful. Do you have a license to collect taxes? Yes or no? I did that the other day at a pizza place. It was uh, uh, what was it? The, 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 the Caesar's Pizza. $5 for a pizza, pizza, pizza. And they wanted 65 cents for taxes. And, they, and we went around and around as to whether I had to pay taxes or not. And I said, okay, let's just do it another way then. Are you licensed to collect taxes? <laughs> I got the manager over there and said, are you engaged? I said, I'm making, I'm going to do an investigation. Can I bring charges against you? Are you engaged in, are you engaged in a criminal act of collecting taxes without a license? And I'm talking loud so everybody can hear me. He, he said, never mind, just go, go, go. I was like, oh, that's what I kind of what I thought. They're not licensed tax collectors. Just like a lot of these attorneys that are doing these fraud closures, they're not licensed to be uh, uh, debt collectors. They're engaged in a criminal act. Well, they're engaged in criminal acts anyway, but it's just another one of those little fun things that you, you nail them with. It. You know, sometimes just that one little thing. Are you licensed to uh, collect debts? Are you a licensed debt collector? No, I'm an attorney. Like I said, you're not licensed as a debt collector. You're engaged in a criminal act, aren't you? Hello? Are we still on? Somebody said, click, now you have no phone, yay. Oh, 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 I see what you're saying. 
try that with a phone company. Wait, wait. Let me read what you guys are talking about here first. I can fix cars. Can you get that? Paint fiberglass. Okay. How about vehicle licensing? Okay, vehicle licensing. Vehicle is what? A vehicle, not always, not every definition, but I tend to say that a vehicle is usually with a term that they use for commercial activity of, of transporting or transportation of product or persons across the land. It's virtually the same thing as a vessel that which is engaged in transporting of persons or product across the water. It's the same thing. It's interesting when you look at it. I didn't know it until I had to study. It's the same daggone thing. So if you're not engaged in the transportation or transporting of goods or services across water or across land, then you aren't required to have a license. It's a private activity, isn't it? You're simply traveling in your motorized carriage. I've heard it also caused a motorized carriage, a car. Uh, you got to be careful with the word truck because truck, they've hijacked that one as well. Uh, plates and state, the state wants your property. Uh, if the state wants their property on mine, then they can pay for it. I agree. Plates and stickers. I agree. Try that with the phone company. I don't understand. What do you mean? Click now. You have no phone. We are here, Texas. Thank you, guest eight. Um, I don't get the phone reference. Click now. You have no phone. I don't get that. Um, is the phone company licensed to collect? Oh, 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 oh. They have horses, carriage plates, or in Washington State. Maybe I'll try and get those. Yeah. Look up the statute and code first under horseless carriage, and you'll see that it's probably exempted from having to have a license. We're talking about taxes. Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. Oh, the phone company. Are you licensed? Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, you, see, see, there's a difference. The, the phone company, well, the phone, I mean, at some point, I could have walked out there and said, I'm, I don't want the pizza. I always have that right. And see, that's what people fail to understand, that as a consumer, um, as a consumer, you always have the right to choose. You can say, I don't want to use your phone anymore as long as you're going to keep uh, charging me those taxes. Now, I don't think that there's anything wrong if you wanted to bring a suit and collect your evidence of them collecting taxes. Because here, yes, I don't think they're licensed to collect taxes. And I think they're collecting taxes all over the place. They have no business collecting them. They also that, it also clearly states there shall be no direct tax. Is that not a direct tax upon you? But there again, it's a catch-22 because you have the right as a consumer to say, I'm not going to use your phone company, and I'm not going to use any company that charges taxes. You have the right to start your own private phone company. Well, if it's a company, then, well, yeah, it would be a company. You have phone, it would be phone service. Even then, you, well, you know, as long as it's only for wages and not a profit. See, and that's, that's where I think all corporations should be anyway. I think the easiest way to solve this problem is for us to change the law just a little bit so the corporations can receive, uh, the investors, the original investors, can receive double their money back. But once they receive double their money, that's it. They're toast. They're done. The company, the corporation cannot um, uh, pay extra bonuses out to CEOs and all this other stuff. And here's why. People who work for corporations have a much, much, much more secure job than generally, particularly in today's climate, 
than generally people do the mom and pops of the average, average everyday company or business, I should say, business, um, uh, mom and pop business that, that come and go. But your bigger corporations have a much more secure job. So there's the security of the job, people receiving that benefit, if you want to call it that, of security that other people don't have. The corporation has, been, uh, has the opportunity to engage in business uh, with limited liability or, or very little to no liability. That's what people fail to understand. See, that's the, 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 um, the benefit that they're receiving Um, from the licensing. So you and I, if you have a private business and you come in slip fall and you sue me, if I don't have insurance, I'm going to have to pay you. Now, a corporation would be sued. Let's say that the corporation didn't have insurance. The corporation would be sued, but you would not lose your house, your car, or anything else. So that is a protection that we don't have. As an individual, uh, even sovereigns that we are, we don't have that protection, a corporation, a limited liability corporation, clearly has uh, limited liability. They're receiving a benefit, uh, or if you want to call it a privilege, that the rest of us don't have. And that's why they're supposed to be paying taxes. And that's where all the taxes are supposed to be derived from. So from my point of view, a simple little thing would be uh, one of two things, and Hale versus Hinkle says it too. It says all corporations are all creations, uh, all corporations are creations of state, and all creations of state are presumed to be for the benefit of the people. So therefore, the corporations people got it all backwards. They seem to think that the corporations uh, they twisted it around, which is what they do. Is that the corporations now are the ones that are uh, not paying the taxes, and and they've got the people paying the taxes. It's the corporations supposed to be paying the taxes, but uh, really, what it is, they're paying a fee. For, for being able to conduct business without um, 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 without uh, liability, all right? So I think it's a very simple thing that after the original investors, uh, quote-unquote stockholders, once they double their money or whatever it's determined, that that's it, they're done, and that the corporation can no longer uh, make a profit. I think that's the simple, simple easiest thing to do. And any profit that they make should go to taxes. So it goes, it goes to the state anyway. Well, some people say, well, that's ludicrous. Well, not really. You've got a steady job. You're doing something that you think better. I want, I want my stuff out there. I'll make money on, on, on the first part. There's nothing to say that you can't make money. You have the security of a job. You have, your product is out there. You have the first year. If you want to buy a bunch of stock, you can double your money. And there'd be other things for, you know, in the Constitution even talks about the, uh, the inventor who has exclusive rights to manufacture, uh, manufacture his idea, I believe it is, for up to five years. So the one who's the original inventor who always gets chipped out of their invention anyway, they're the person who should be getting the, the quote-unquote profit, or even though you call it profit, he's getting paid for his ingenuity. And, and the tenacity to, to try to, to actually put it together and make it happen. That makes sense. But the CEOs and the, 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 the CFOs and these other officers and the employees, no. They're just doing a J-O-B, and they should be getting a wage, W-A-G-E, a wage. That's it. Non-taxable. Not any big bonuses. There's a, a limit on the bonuses, like probably, let's say, a, a, I don't know, 
half of a quarter. So it'll be like four months, three months, three months. Yeah, three months worth of pay. So if he's getting fifty, or if he's getting a hundred thousand uh, dollars a year, divide that by four, which would be what? Was that two point five? So two point five. Uh, uh, $25,000 and a, let me see, half of that would be, you know, a quarter, a quarter $25,000 would be approximately five, yeah, his bonuses can't be more than maybe five to $7,000. That makes sense. I mean, it could be, it'd just be just like a citizen. Depending upon the job that they do, da 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 you can specify the job, just like a, a, a citizen, the amount the percentage that they can get paid. And that would be considered a taxable bonus because that's not uh, a small bonus. Anything over a certain amount, for instance, a percentage-wise, anything over something, I mean, that's, ta- you know, that's where your tax code could come in. Makes sense. But to sit there and have corporations that are supposed to be paying billions of dollars in taxes, not paying them, and you're stealing billions and trillions of dollars from the people, who are not supposed to be taxed, there's something wrong with this picture. And we're the ones that can correct it by going to the legislature, by getting stuff on ballots, by making sure that they know their office, by taking them to task, by costing them money when they don't do it right. So anyway, that's where we're at. Um, I don't have anything else to read to you, unfortunately. Um, I had some stuff up, but my... It's not what I wanted. Um, and I'm running out of time anyway, so I'm going to go ahead and shut her down. Unless anybody has any more hard questions, mortgages, taxes, property taxes. You guys got the property tax thing? You own it alloidally. Alloidally means in your own right. As a creation of the creator who has endowed you with certain unalienable rights and one of them is to own property. And guess what? Wages are considered property. Did you know that benefits and all that crap? And, oh, you don't want to receive it. Man, anybody. You know, that, that actually was the thing that cued me off about four years ago. I said, wait a minute. I'm wrong about that. And I knew enough to know that that a benefit, because I come from benef- basically a beneficiary of a trust, a beneficiary or a, benef- a beneficiary who receives the only obligation they have, and it's not really an obligation, is to receive the benefit. They don't have many rights, but the rights they have is a full accounting. So every one of us as a beneficiary has the right to a full accounting. That's why the coffers came out there and they had to abide by that because we have the right and it's it's the whole bunch of stuff in there it talks about how it must be published so what they do is they publish the short version and they hide the longer version which is the CAFR accounts which is the full account guest a right in contract what you want exactamundo and I have mentioned this before uh, and I've changed my little heading stuff uh, to effectuate it. It's a very short thing, just um, uh, claiming all rights, waiving none, known and unknown. It's just real simple. Um, as one of the people, um, claiming all rights, 
all known and unknown, waving none. Real simple thing. But I think that uh, I want to actually expand on it and create a literal contract with these corporate courts. Um, I haven't done it at this point, but uh, I'm still working on it. But uh, for those other geniuses out there, you guys will pick up an idea and run with it. Um, I think that that's, you know, somebody does a preamble or does something where you actually, you could be a boilerplate, you know, that, that uh, this constitutes a contract by and between the um, corporate court identification number, tax number so-and-so and such-and-such, or Dunn's, Dunn's number such-and-such and so-and-so, and, and hereby incorporate this contract with a payment of $120, whatever it is, or $5, it doesn't matter, that they shall act in accordance with the Constitution and the laws of this state and protect all of my rights. In other words, you want to create a binding contract upon them in which would actually probably say, by acceptance of the payment and by uh, activity by any of the agents, all agents are bound by the following. I think it's a worthwhile experiment. Because I think that's one of the things that we fail to do. We go in there assuming that it's a de jure court, and it's not. It's a, it's a corporate court. Not that it's unlawful or de facto. It's just a corporate court pretending to be a, a, a de jure court. And we believe that it's a de jure court. And that's why you have to force the law on them, because if you don't express the law, it's not in the contract. You haven't held them accountable to it. It's a little bit different world, but everything still follows the same pattern of objections and judicial notices and everything. That's how you communicate with them. You're creating contract with them. Basically, most of it is assumed contract. The problem is assume that we have a contract in place. But what I'm learning is that actually when we inform the court, we're letting them know we're changing the contract. We're altering the contract, even though there was technically never any contract in place. We give up our jurisdiction, like the judge said the other day, when I objected to your, when I uh, challenged jurisdiction, he says, and yet here you are. I said, that has nothing to do. I said, I'm here by special appearance to challenge the jurisdiction. Huh? You didn't even know what that meant. I denied it, of course, so I objected for the record. And then, of course, when I challenged jurisdiction and he thought I was talking about something else, I said, no, I'm challenging jurisdiction because it clearly states that in any, all cases where the state is party to the case, uh, a party to, an, uh, party to, let me just say a party, let me get the correct, in all, let's see, it's Article 3, Section 3. I mean, sorry, Article 3, Section 2, Second Paragraph. In all cases, no exception. In which a state shall be party, the Supreme Court shall have original jurisdiction. So clearly, if the Supreme Court has original jurisdiction, what the hell are we doing in a district or a state circuit court? Of course, he denied it. Make sense? Anyway, I'm winding down, and it's 1126. So 
If there's no other hard questions or other intriguing questions, uh, guest number nine, guest number eight, we've been chit-chatting there. You got anything more in questions? Uh, do you understand as what I've been expressing makes sense to you? And do you know what kind of One of the first things you want to do is get this disc. I'm just telling you. If you get the disc for nothing else but the American jurisprudence um, um, program that's on and also, of course, uh, jurisdiction. Um, you know, and, and, and look at, the, uh, there's tons and tons of case law, on, at least on property taxes and taxes in general. And most of it's for Florida, but you're going to find it in every state. Federal practices, mainly. Uh, you don't have, the one thing that is missing there, which you're going to pay $200 for probably, 150 to $200, which is still a worthwhile expenditure. Like I said, I have the book right here that I brought into court with me, the Annotated Code of Maryland. Somebody gave it to me, but I know that they paid $125 for it new. You know, I mean, you know, you were just talking about painting a car. The whole rig you use to paint the car probably costs 150 bucks or 200 bucks at the cheapest. You had to get a compressor that... Probably hundred. If it's a good compressor with a large tank, you're probably talking eight or nine hundred dollars. Then you have to have a good gun, and the gun's going to be one hundred fifty, two hundred dollars, and your tips are probably going to be another fifty dollars. Then you have to have your screen, your strainer. Then you have to spend at least two hundred dollars on the paint, and then the thinner. So why on earth would you think that so win a multi-million dollar case or win against uh, thirty thousand dollars? You know, you paint cars and do repairs on them for two, three, four thousand dollars at the most. I mean, you know, AM was AM WCL or whatever it is used to paint cars for like two hundred forty nine dollars special. They're not making much money, but they still have to use all that equipment. But the more times they use it, the more the expense diminishes. So the more times you do this, the the less cost it's going to actually be. And if you save your $240,000 house, or even if it's a $50,000 house from, going to, from being fraud closed on, or from, uh, from, uh, from <coughs> having to pay a $6,000 or $10,000 tax bill, or lose a $200,000 house, it's you know, your choice. Let's either you pay us $10,000 or we save $200,000, which one you want. Which, by the way, think about that for one minute. If my house is worth two hundred thousand dollars or property, whatever it is, and they're putting a lien, or they're diminishing the value of it by ten thousand dollars, isn't that theft? Yes, it is. They're diminishing the value. It's converting. They're converting a right into a privilege. They can't do that either. It's all sorts of stuff that they're engaged in. My favorite is that they're engaged in counterfeiting instruments. They have no authority to make those instruments, and they're selling them to the public. It's, uh, uh, um, uh, was it um, creating of the counterfeit instruments? Then they're um, uh, what is it called? Uttering a passing. That's exactly what they're doing: uttering and passing of counterfeit instruments, selling them without public auction. And they even tell you the auctioneer tell you this is not the property. <laughs> Same thing with these with these fraud closures. They're getting a trustee's deed written. He's not even a trustee, a substitute trustee, who has no authority whatsoever to create anything.
So it just makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Once you're getting it, once you see how the law is written, it makes perfect sense. And you can then begin to say, oh, oh, it does make sense. You just have to be speaking the language. And you keep talking about theirs, theirs, theirs. That is the controlled opposition. All night we've been talking about the term, without using it, controlled opposition. All of this junk and stuff is controlled opposition. It is the enemy that is in field trading. They're in field. They have gotten in field inside your brain and getting you to believe garbage and junk so that you will not read and use the law that was there to protect it. You're studying everything else but the law. Study the law, study the case law, learn the process and procedures, get the daggone disc, write me at truthmonger6, T-R-U-T-H-M-O-N-G-E-R, truthmonger6 at gmail.com, and put in the title, disc, amjur, something, okay? And I will give you or call you or leave your number. Um... Like I said at the top of the hour, my phone has been cut off because nobody donated. This time of year has been real tough. Uh, the last job I did, I thought was going to get me through the winter time. It was a big enough job; it should have got me through the winter time. But the guy stiffed me on on the uh, on sixteen hundred dollars. So I am like zip zero. I'm literally out of food. But my neighbor invited me for dinner tonight. That worked out real good. I'm kind of expecting or hoping for a miracle between now and tomorrow, or sometime tomorrow. And if somebody is kind enough to send me through PayPal, which would be truthmonger, T-R-U-T-H-M-O-N-G-E-R, the number two, I gave it out wrong last week. It's the number two, not three. Two at gmail.com if you have PayPal. If not, I'm going to type it in here in a second. If not, you want to send it snail mail. It's 15013 Shaw Road, S-C-H-A-L-L -L Road. Akokeek, A-C-C-O-K-E-E-K, Maryland. And I don't mind using the zip. It makes things faster, quicker, and more more expedient. 20607. <clears throat> and to accomplish what most people want to accomplish, just simply put C slash O, which is care of. So you don't have to worry about using the, the, uh, the, 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 the numbers and all this other stuff. Just put care of. That's all you need to do. It's but when you sign something, just write B-Y colon, B-Y two dot. That's it. <coughs> okay? That's real simple. Or if you want to get a phone card for me, just go to 7-Eleven. Uh, some of your grocery stores have it and ask where they have the phone cards. And it's under net, N-E-T, 10, just the number 10. And it'll, it's blue and white. There's a whole bunch of them. There's uh, Virgin Mobile. There's all sorts of stuff, 18, everything. Look for the blue and white ones. It'll say Net 10 Unlimited. And it's $40 plus $3 because that's how much they charge. And if you would be so kind to do that, I would very much appreciate it. And the people that are hanging out in the wind right now have not been able to call me that I'm in the middle of helping them on their court cases. Um, I'm sure they would appreciate it as well. And those people can donate a little bit so I can keep feeding my face here. Um, I would very, very much appreciate it. Um, if people in the area, I'd say, hey, I'll come over and do some work for you. If you need something, doesn't matter, electrical plumbing, drywall painting, as you know, <laughs> I do painting. I don't like doing carpeting, but I can. I do tile work. But there's always work that needs to be done. It's just because of the weather around here and 
this area, and this is all I'm doing with these court cases. I haven't had time to go out and and um, and get any work, so I kind of rely on you guys. And that's why I've lived on so very very little. You know, you think about the amount of money that some of these people pulling in, like donations. I mean, that's when I read um, when I met Rod Class off in my house when I lived in Silver Spring before they robbed before they stole me that on a fraud closure, <clears throat> which I got all of $2,500 for. <laughs> Thank you very much for $540,000 house. But I had him, you know, ride class stay there, um, you know, when he was going to Washington. So he didn't have to pay the two or $300 a night at Washington, D.C. He saved him thousands of dollars. Um, but that's when I realized how much money they were raking in. They were actually getting a considerable amount because he's a good salesman. And other people are too. Um, uh, I guess I'm not, doing as good a job at selling you guys on this stuff, but I know one thing that what I'm sharing with you is the truth. It's in writing. I can prove it. I've actually won what, two cases now, almost three cases. Uh, I've helped probably four or five other people win their cases. So there's something to be for that. Um, I would, you know, look at Rod Klaus's case. I mean, I've talked about it and help him on it, but, you know, he's going to do it his way. Um, you know, but there's, there's there's obvious obvious ways to do it. I got my own cases that I'm trying to help myself on right now. That's another reason I'm really over overstressed. But if you would be willing to send me ten, fifteen, I don't care. Five dollars could make a difference. You know, I can help. I can buy a package of chicken last me. I can make it last three or four days. You know, so it's not like I'm asking for for dollars. You know, hey brother, send me a hundred dollars and I'll bless it for you and send it back. Okay, you know. It's dumb. I'm not going there. But I do give you my time. I do do the reading. I do do the studying. And I do share it with you. And uh, hopefully that's worth suffering. Anyway, um, blessings, everybody. I'm going to put it in here right now. Um, again, all you need to do is get the card itself. And um, when you get the card, you scrape off the number. And then send me the number either by email to Truthmonger6, or you could do Truthmonger2 if you want to keep it that way. That's fine. Um, because that's the one you need if you're going to do PayPal, it's Truthmonger2 at gmail.com. <clears throat> or you can send it to Truthmonger6 and say, phone card, just title it phone card, or you can scratch off, yeah, scratch off the numbers and put them in there. Um, and, or the other way is the phone I'm using right now, I'm going to put the number in there. Uh, you can, um, <clears throat> excuse me, you can text it uh, or even call me. I think you can call me on this phone. It's, I still have minutes on it. And I would very, very much appreciate it. Um, let's see if I can find the number real quick. Hold on a second. If I hang up, I apologize. I don't want to go on hold. On. Huh. Yeah, I'm going to have to look up the number. After I hang up, I'll try to put it in here. Um, hmm, how am I going to do this? Well, let me put my address in there for those who want to do snail mail. Hold on a minute. Uh, 
Gabe. Yeah, I And this is the two four. I think it's a two four zero number. I just borrowed this phone from a friend of mine so I could get on here and do the show tonight. Two four zero, and I'm not sure the rest of the number, so I'm gonna have to type it in there when I get it. Oh wait a minute! I have the number. Yes, I do. Hold on, let me get it off my other phone. Two four zero two seven three. Gosh. All right, there you go, guys. And I appreciate it ahead of time. Uh, anything you guys can help out, I really, really do appreciate it. You'd be surprised how much difference just a few dollars can make. And you can call it my Christmas gift. And if nothing else, if somebody wants to just make a loan until uh, I collect on this other one, I'm willing to do that as well. If you want to do that, I just, you know, don't don't do the interest thing. It's called usury. But if you want to loan me a bit because you want to get paid back, I can see that you get paid back. That's not a problem. Uh, Tony normally loans me money because I loan him money all the time. There's other people that owe me money, but, you know, collecting on it's not always that easy. Uh, you know, I understand the Christmas time. So... I would appreciate it. Anyway, blessings to everyone. Somebody write me, text me, whatever it is. Um, and you really need to think your best if you want to know how to win. Because everything you need, all of the tr- all of the things that are in there. And Dave Merlin, I asked him on his show, I said, do you have the answer? He says, of course I do. I like, he says, that's what I use. And I was like, okay. So if you have that many people that are using the disc, almost exclusively to win says, what does that tell you? Okay, and he's won against the IRS several times when I understand. Uh, anyway, I will say good night and blessings to everybody, which means may your desires be fulfilled. Good night. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.